Tuesday, August the 8th, and on Fan for Racing Radio, we have our Michigan NASCAR Race Review and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me in just a little bit will be our co-host, Jay Huseman, for today. And in our first half hour, we are going to cover the uh, latest short track news, and then we're going to review the Arkham and Art Series race that took place out at Michigan International Speedway this weekend. We'll include a brief ARCA East and ARCA West update along with that. In our next half hour, we'll offer some updates from the NASCAR Truck Series, and then we'll comment on a media interview with John Hunter Nemechek. He's the NASCAR Xfinity Series winner at Michigan, and he was, that was a milestone win for Joe Gibbs Racing. In our third half hour, we reviewed the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series races, both taking place out at Michigan. We'll end our episode with the Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. And Jay, it sounds like we've got a full house today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I hadn't seen who was all coming in today. I know a couple said they should be available. Uh, we obviously, again, have some hot, hot topics. But first, we got to talk about some what I consider great racing at Michigan. Yes, indeed. Uh, I really enjoyed the racing uh, at Michigan this weekend as well. But before we even do that, we need to get into our uh, short track uh, news that happened over the weekend. And uh, let's see. Yeah, we've got uh, several uh, races that took place that we can talk about, and then we'll go through our website and cover that. Let's start with the uh, dirt sprint cars. Do you want to cover that? All right. For the sprint car, make sure I'm off mute here. Okay. Uh, for the sprint cars, we had the World of Outlaws uh, sprint cars. Spencer Baton ended a year-long winless uh, drought to kick off the Ironman 55, and that was covered by Nick Graziano over at worldoutlaws.com. But in the feature of the weekend, it was a returning Kyle Larson as he got the better of Logan Schuchart in a race-long duel to score the win, and Alex Neaton covered that on worldoutlaws.com. And also, ASCS, sorry, uh, Brian Brown prevailed in the 360 Knoxville Nationals. Now it's covered by Brian Hilbert on ASCSracing.com. Okay. Uh, next, we'll cover the sprint cars. Oh, that's what you just did. <laughs> okay, next we'll cover the Late Models World of Outlaws series. And Barbie, Bobby Pierce fended off Ricky Thornton Jr. to take the Hawkeye 50. Nick Graziano uh, covers that over at theworldofoutlaws.com. And then he returned and dominated the USA Nationals opener days later at Cedar Lake Speedway. Mike Warren writes about that over at worldofoutlaws.com. And then Chris Madden followed his third win of the year the following night. Again, Mike Warden, Warren writes about that over at worldofoutlaws.com. But in the end, it was Pierce again that triumphed in the final race of the USA Nationals. And, again, it was Mike Warren writing about that at worldofoutlaws.com. Next, we'll cover some short track racing. 
other short track racing throughout the country at the Wheeland Modified Tour. It was Austin Deers as a two-time Modified Tour winner, and he held off Matt Hirschman to win at Lancaster Motorplex. You can uh, follow that on NASCAR.com, covered by Brandon White. In the ASA series, Ty Majeski bounced back from his Richmond uh, raceway loss in the truck series to notch a victory in the Gandrud Auto Group 250. Matt Weaver from Short Track Scene covered that one. Maybe one second, I lost my – there we go. Uh, USAC, under the USACs, uh, Cody Swanson is the first USAC Silver Crown driver to reach 40 wins after he took a victory at Toledo Speedway. Richie Murray carries it. Cover Richard Richie Murray covers that on USAC Media, and the final one we got. Uh, what do you want to do when you're 72? Wow, Maine legend Mike Rowe is a feature winner, and Zach Evan covers that over on Racing America. Wow, uh, great stories there, uh, covering the short track racing this weekend. And uh, I'm going to kind of go over to Racing America. We just uh, covered that. But there's a lot of news over at Racing America to uh, take a look at. Mike Rockenfeller is going to pilot the number 42 LMC entry at Indianapolis and Watkins Glen. And LMC, of course, is Legacy Motor Club. So uh, that's uh, pretty cool. It is one of those uh, situations that has come up that I know we're going to talk about in Hot Topics with the suspension of Noah Gregson, but specifically there in Indianapolis, moving over to Lucas Oil Raceway Park, the SRX Series, Superman Jonathan Davenport going to race with him. (laughs) Yes, another big story. I'm super excited about that. And then McAllister Precision Marketing announces the signing of 15-year-old Carson Hazlip. He's uh, a driver in the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly uh, Series, and uh, pretty cool that uh, they have signed on with him. Always like to see that, especially when you have somebody supporting a 15-year-old. I mean, that does kind of a support they get. Another one is uh, Shoemaker, as they announced the largest local payout in Speedway history. So Shoemaker uh, Raceway is going to have a huge payout there. International Speedway is going to have that huge payout. And, uh, boy, that is uh, really, really cool to see as well. Uh, Also, let's see here. Appel edges out Vandergeese to win the Kaliki Memorial out at Slinger in late model racing. I know this is one. I don't know if Brian got over to this one, but has talked about going to Slinger. Uh, that is one, especially having grown up up there, I never got the chance to go over to. I think I'm going to have to take a vacation and go back home and see my family as well. Well, Dogs are barking, so again, I apologize, <laughs> but uh, if you hear that in the background. Uh, but again, we've got three dogs, three adults, and two kids, and uh, it's a busy place here. Okay, let's move over to Flow Racing. There's some headlines over there as well. Uh, we talked about Jonathan Davenport, but it's dirty jersey time for Short Track Super Series at New Egypt Speedway. 
Uh, that sounds like an interesting one to uh, check out. And the 2023 Knoxville Nationals Paint Scheme Preview uh, is posted as well. So uh, very, very cool to see. And uh, anything else that uh, attracts your attention, Jay? No, you know me. I, I'm really big on, to, on the dirt track scene. So Jonathan <laughs> Davenport going to compete in the SRX is, is big for me. I can't wait to see that. Um, but you talked about the paint schemes. That's one of those I like to cover on the radio show, but just doesn't do it justice. you got to go over there and check them out and see them. Uh, there's a list of NASCAR drivers that are also racing in the battle at Berlin Raceway. Uh, that's something that you should check out. Uh, let's see. That's a Wednesday race. It will be live on Flow Racing. Chase Elliott, William Byron, Eric Jones, Josh Berry, Carson Hosevar, uh, Derek Nealon, and other notables uh, include Bubba Pollard, Derek Griffins, uh, Brian Campbell, Evan Shafko, uh and Jesse Love a six-time winner now in the Arkham Menard Series, uh, and Tyler Roerig all uh, will be in action that weekend. So a lot going on over at Berlin Raceway this weekend. And I really do love to see that. I know they've moved over a little from Michigan International uh, Speedway over to Indianapolis. But to see them driving in these uh, local classes even if they don't do particularly good. I know this past week, uh, Kyle Busch ran a dirt track race. I think he ended up 28th, uh, made the statement it is official. He is not as good as Kyle Larson when it comes to dirt, but uh, he enjoyed it, you know, and, and was with the fans and really enjoyed that aspect to it. Exactly. There's also one other great article before we uh, move over to, and actually it's a video, before we move over to short track scene. Larson and Sweet describe winning the Knoxville Nationals. Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet talk about their wins and the emotion they felt after winning the Knoxville Nationals. So uh, I would highly recommend listening to that. Well, as we uh, move over to a short track scene that you mentioned there, uh, Jesse Switzer uh, picked up a victory, but not without some battles. And we've seen that, I think, throughout the entire weekend, uh, some great battles to pick up these wins. And it's not just about having the most dominant car. Sometimes you got to work for it and have things fall your way. That's true. He dodged some misfortune to find his path to victory lane. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Also, all the breaks, Ty Majewski uh, caught on the way to the his fourth Dixieland. So we already mentioned that he won that race. Uh, so an article about that also over at uh, Short Track Scene. And then Mason Diaz, Cole Butcher uh, both earned their first Cars win in a throwback race. So uh, an article about over at Short Track Scene as well. There's also a, a article there on the American Canadian Tour as Glukaki scores a $10,000 ACT Tour Montgomery. No, this is that one month. I don't remember how you Mont- pronounce it, Sharon. Montmagny. 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 Uh, picking up the victory there. 
pretty cool. They've got some great pictures there of that as well. Austin Beers also surges to his second uh, NASCAR Whalen Modified Tour win out at Lancaster. So uh, that's pretty cool. I think that one's from a little bit older. We talked about Jeremy Doss picking up a victory after William Byron was DQ'd. That was down at Five Flags Speedway. Yeah. Trying to see if there are any new ones up. Hey. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Why don't we go ahead? I think we've covered quite a bit on the short track scene uh, and other short track racing around the country. Let's go ahead and move over to our review of the Arkham and Art Series race that took place out at Michigan International Speedway. All right. Uh, We'll go ahead and start. Uh, The Henry Ford Health 200 out at Michigan International Speedway was won by the Arkham and Art Series championship leader, Jesse Love, scoring his sixth win of the season. It's also his second consecutive victory with his win in the Henry Ford Help 200 at Michigan. Uh, it's also his eighth career Arkham Art Series win, and it moved him into a tie for 46th in the series all-time win list. Others with eight career Arkham Art Series wins include Jack Shanklin, Charlie Glatzbach, Dave Dayton, Davey Allison, Jimmy Horton, Jeff Purvis, Chad Blount, Justin Algauer, Austin Terrio, and Brandon Jones. So uh, he enters a uh, very prestigious list there. Well, and he's on his way to another one as in the 11th race, Love stretched his lead in the series standings to 82 points now over Frankie Munoz, who retook second position, though, with a career-best fifth-place finish. Frankie on that, uh, getting that fifth-place finish. Uh, Munoz earned his career top five finish after a brush with another car flattened his right front tire. It sent him into the turn three wall, and Munez made multiple pit stops for repairs and worked his way back through the field despite damage to the right side of his car. So to overcome all of that and still come up with that second-place finish was quite an accomplishment for Frankie Munez. And Gus Dean finished second to earn his 20th career top five finish in the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, Dean led a total of 18 laps and was in contention for the victory, despite another brush with the wall after contact racing for the lead with Connor Mozak back on lap 19. Come a lot to get his finish. Mozak ended up finishing third in his fourth top five finish in five starts so far this year. He is also one of the race's four leaders, pacing the field for a total of nine laps. Andy Jankowak uh, scored his best career Arkham and Ards Series finish in fourth place, uh, bettering his fifth-place finish coming back in the, at Charlotte in May. And Andres Perez was the dominant force of the day, driving the same car that reigning Series Cup champion Nick Sanchez drove to victory last year. Perez started from the general tire pole for the first time in his career. He also led a race-high 43 laps before mechanical problems ended his day while leading just not with just nine laps remaining. That had to be a heartbreak 
for Andres Perez Talara. As always, we got the good side and the bad side. On the good side, though, Andy Hillenberg's fast track high performance racing team placed three cars among the top 10 finishes. Uh, Morgan Baird finished a career best sixth. Gage Rogers placed a career best ninth. And John Garrett matched his career best in 10th. The race's 12 lead changes was just one shy of tying the series record for the most lead changes in an Arkham Menard Series race at Michigan International Speedway. That was set in 2005. Last year's Mystic in Race also featured 11 lead changes. Now, next up for the Arkham Menard Series, that'll be the Reese's 200 coming up at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. That'll be Friday, August 11th. The race will be a combination race with the Arkham Menard Series East and pay full championship points for both series. The race will be televised live coming up on FS1 starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and be broadcast on select affiliates of the MRN radio network nationwide. Fantastic. I can't wait to watch that race. Uh, uh, I know the race this weekend uh, with the Arkham and Art Series out at Michigan was fantastic. Okay. Uh, I want to head over to Arkham and Art Series um, because the race, uh, Racing.com because they always have great articles for fans to check out. Uh, and then also... You've got uh, the complete finishing order uh, from the Henry Ford 200 is available there. Uh, You know you can claim your tickets for the combo race at Lucas Oil IRP. And there's an article here about Taylor Reimer is making his ARCA debut with Venturini Motorsports, but that's not coming until the Illinois State Fairgrounds race uh, later on this month. Uh, and then ARCA on TV, you can also catch where you can catch replays of the ARCA Menard Series races. Uh, and uh, that's always good to know. Uh, we're going to re- continue to review uh, Jesse Love's uh, race. Wow, he this race did not come easy for him. He had to battle exhaustion. Uh, he explained, Jay, in his interview uh, that... Um, he lost a, a lot that was helping to keep him cool in that car. They lost their cool suit. The, they lost the helmet blower. The feet blower all went out, and he pretty was pretty much exhausted at the end of this race. Well, and even more so to, to add to that story was he wasn't feeling 100% going into the race. I don't know if they ever said what it was that was uh, was bugging him, but – he was a little under the weather even before going into that and then compound that with all the issues they had with their cooling systems. Uh, we've seen some veterans that have gotten out of cars just wiped out. You're talking about a young kid, but he persevered and performed. Yeah, it was one of the most chaotic races uh, that we've had in a while. Um, uh, but uh, he had to battle with Gustine for a while, Connor Mosack. Uh, he, had, he had to battle with a lot of uh, drivers. Andres Perez de Lara uh, as well. It was uh, Love's sixth win of the season, uh, and it, it really 
was uh, a battle of the will, if you will, for Jesse Love. It was, and and this is something I know we look at when we talk about uh, these young drivers maybe being in the right car or whatever, um, just dominating wins because they have the car. We've seen it with Jesse Love. Several of his uh, victories here have come in some very intense battles. This one, to me, ranked towards the top. We talked about the issues with the cooling suit. We talked about uh, almost setting a record as far as lead changes. That tells you how many people were up there battling for this victory. Uh, so I really put this one kind of at the top of the list of his wins so far. Yeah, I think uh, he really had to overcome quite a lot in order to get that win. It all started uh, on lap 27 when rookie Frankie Munoz bounced off Jake Finch coming into turn two. It was a flat tire for Munoz, and that was the first yellow flag event of the race. Um, and on lap 42, there was a restart to Sprite. Uh, and despite a strong launch by Love, Perez de Laura took over the lead with a pass on the inside between turns three and four. And that uh, he was able to keep that lead until he was forced to pit for fuel with less than 30 laps to go. And that's when the mayhem level continued to increase. Well, and that's one of the storylines we kind of hit on. Uh, come uh, leading into this, multiple teams, Jesse Love was battling stuff within his car, but multiple teams came back for some very solid finishes with on-track incidences and were able to come back. Yeah. I think that was a huge part. Like I said, this was a great race to me. Yeah. For drag racing on a restart with 25 laps to go, Dean made that impressive move on the bottom between turns three and four and took over the full lead. Uh, but he didn't hold it for long because with 23 laps to go, Mozak slid under Dean at her entering turn one and got loose. He moved up the racetrack and collected Dean, but both drivers kept their cars pointing forward. That was amazing to me. With everybody in front of him forced to check up, Perez then retook the lead. Uh, I couldn't believe both of those guys saved their car after that, uh, after that uh, uh, side-by-side. And I tell you, tell you this, I know we're talking about Jesse Love winning that race and what he went through. You're right. There were some uh, near spins. Um, uh, I'll have to go back and look to see who won the actual Reese's uh, sweet move of the race because several of their nominees had to do with drivers saving their car. Mozak got back to Perez. He made the pass for the top spot with 11 laps to go. And shortly after, Perez was forced out of the race with a mechanical issue, he ended up finishing 17th. Mozak was the leader following during the fifth caution of the race. Uh, fluid from Perez's car, though, uh, on the restart with one lap to go, he slipped as he was pushed by Chris Wright, allowing Love to take the lead in a clean manner. Uh, the crash behind the leaders drew the race's final caution, was, which set up Love's race-winning restart. Dean finished second ahead of Mozak in third. Andy Dekowiak, uh, who displayed a race-winning speed in the family-owned 73, set a new career best with his fourth-place run, uh, as well as Munoz with that fifth-place finish from him after rebounding from that early accident. Just an amazing race with all kinds of action throughout the event. 
and I know it wasn't a victory, but you talked about Andy Jakowiak. Uh, that's one of those of uh, they show up when they can. They've got enough money put together to make a race. And this wasn't just making the race. You mentioned it. He was up there contending extremely hard um, and picked up his career best finish. But he was one of those contenders mixing it up in those final laps. It was um, uh, just an amazing race. Uh, now, I, we mentioned the race coming up at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway. Um that's going to be the ARCA Menards as well as the ARCA East Series. But the ARCA West, their next race is going to not be until August 19th. That will be at Evergreen Speedway at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Napa Auto Parts ARCA 150. And that will be available via live streaming over at Flow Racing. Uh, but, yeah, th- this was an amazing race. Uh, I'll tell you what, Michigan in general, I thought, uh, gave us some of the best racing I've seen at Michigan in a long, long time. I'd, I'd have to agree with that, Sharon. Uh, you know, that is one that can tend to be a strung-out race, especially in some of these other series where you have one or two dominant cars. That was not the case this past weekend. As I thought, all three series that ran there put on some great racing action. And I just wanted to update, being that I would mentioned it, the Reese's sweet move of the race did go to Jason Kitzmiller's near miss. So uh, I told you that was why I knew there were several of them that were uh, voted on. Yeah, there were several uh, opportunities for that sweet move of the race. And thank you for uh, uh, letting us know who actually did get that. Uh, I love that they do that over at ArcaRacing.com. Uh, as part of the Arkham Menard series, the Reese Sweet Move of the Race. And fans get to vote on that. So uh, you can watch the video of Jason Kitts Miller's near miss at Michigan over at ArkhamRacing.com. Uh, I pulled it up myself to uh, take a look at it. Yeah. Again, it's just amazing that both of those drivers kept their cars going uh, in that, after that. Uh, kind of bouncing off each other uh, it really um, was an amazing uh, an amazing and you can see some of the other nominees in that video as well okay Jay we are going to go ahead and move on Uh, the truck series did not race this weekend Uh, the NASCAR truck series uh, won't be racing again until this weekend uh, they'll be racing the T-Sport 200 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park on um, Friday. That's uh, coming up this week at 9 p.m. Eastern. It will be available on Fox Sports 1, MRN, and Sirius XM's uh, radio as well. They've got the entry list posted already. And one of the big names on this entry list is Shane Van Gisbergen. He's going to be in the number 41 for Nissan Motorsports. I think that's probably the biggest news coming into this weekend. Well, boy, that's a tough call to say it's the biggest news. It's huge news, no doubt about it, as he enters the foray into oval track racing as well as making a start within the truck series. But you got to remember, this is the first race of the playoffs for the NASCAR right. uh, Craftsman Truck Series. So uh, that's it's going to be interesting for sure. And I'm sure that's going to be on Shane Van Gisbergen's mind 
as he's racing in that number 41. He won't want to do anything that's going to impact the playoff picture, if you will, uh, in the truck series. Uh, because this is a kind of a one-off race for him right now uh, so that he can kind of get his feet wet on ovals after racing uh, several road courses in his regular series. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting because there are 10 playoff drivers that will be contending uh, to move on to that next uh, round for the truck series. Yeah, and that's going to be huge. I hadn't really thought about that of this, uh, you know, when we talked about him coming into this race, that especially being the first race, but it being the truck series playoffs. So you're right. You really want to mind your P's and Q's and not affect that championship run by any of those 10 drivers. Uh, Not that a driver ever wants to affect anybody else's race, but it kind of gets highlighted during the playoff runs. That's true, but there's going to be some other drivers that don't normally race in the truck series, and and, uh, uh, I'm going to highlight some of them right now. In the 04 is going to be Landon Lewis. You've got Greg Van Alts racing the number 20. Logan Bearden is going to be in the 22. We already mentioned Shane Van Gisbergen in the the 41. Chad Chastain, brother to Ross Chastain, is racing the number 44. The 61 is a TBA at this point. I don't know if it's on the entry list or not. But also in the number 66 is going to be Jones. Uh, Let me look at that entry list real quick. They've got the latest one here. 61 is still uh, TBA. Uh, And when they say Jones, what was his car number, Jay? Connor Jones. Connor Jones. Yeah, Connor Jones is going to be on that number 66 for Thor Sport Racing. So there's going to be a handful of drivers in this race. Chris Hacker's in the number 30 for on-point racing. Um, So a number of drivers uh, that uh, are in this race uh, that aren't normally uh, driving in the truck series uh, will need to watch their P's and Q's as the uh, contenders. Uh, race toward the uh, championship. Well, and as you were talking about that, I recalled actually the the truck series, uh, as all the series have now, um, the Xfinity and the truck series have that during their challenges, the Dash for Cash and Triple Truck Challenge, as well as playoff races, you aren't allowed to have a driver from another series, a regular points driver from another series Mm -hmm. in those races. So your cup drivers can't come down during the playoff races. So these teams that utilize other drivers have to find a new one that isn't running for points. So they've kind of gone through this before. I know this will be Shane Van Gisbergen's first time uh, in dealing with that. But these other drivers are aware of it. And I don't think we've seen any major issues. I'm not going to say there haven't been any hiccups, but... It's true. It, and, and you know, as hard as they try, some things are just out of their control, too. And that's just something for folks to kind of keep in mind uh, as they watch this race out at Indianapolis's uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park. Uh, the other drivers of note are Monty Williams in the number 146. Uh, William Sawalich driving the number one for Tricon Garage, uh, going to be in this race. Um, 
Let's see. Raja Karuth, he's been racing with GMS Racing's number 24. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, a, a lot to, to look forward to. The O2, do we know yet who's going to be in the O2 this weekend for Young's Motorsports? I'm not seeing a driver listed there yet, as of yet, either. Uh, um, let's see. Daniel Dye is going to honor auto racing's legend, Gary Bettenhausen, at Indianapolis this weekend. Uh, so that's kind of pretty cool uh, to see that happening. They've got a picture of his paint scheme. Uh, Bettenhausen is kind of a big name in the Midwest here. And uh, uh, I really, I really uh, give him a lot of credit for honoring Gary Bettenhausen in this race. You always like to see that when uh, a drivers appreciate and show their appreciation and honor another driver like that for sure. Just had uh, to drive for uh, Spire Motorsports in at Indianapolis's truck race, uh, so that's another name to keep your eye on this way race. Um, and let's see, I'm trying to look for other. Uh, race-specific information here. <coughs> Excuse me. Caden Honeycutt, set to run five races with Nissan Motorsports. Uh, he'll be at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park on August 11th and Homestead Miami Speedway on August 21st. So uh, something to watch for there. I'm trying to think. You kind of cut out there. Uh, did you mention Lane Riggs in the in the Spire Motorsports? I know they got a driver coming up here for uh, Indianapolis yes. and then as w- as well as the Milwaukee Mile. Okay, I didn't hear which one. Derek Krause is going to drive for him yeah. at the Milwaukee Mile. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm happy for Derek Krause uh, to get that. And then also the paint scheme for Hair Club returning to Hill Motorsports uh, as a partner for multiple races. For Tyler Hill, they've got that paint scheme up over at uh, um, J-Skis. The Hair Club has signed on to be the primary sponsor of the number 56 Toyota Trend, uh, driven by Tyler Hill at Kansas and Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, So that's kind of cool. And... uh, We'll check for more on that as time gets closer on some of these. And I mentioned Chris Hacker. Uh, Chris Hacker uh, has a paint scheme. He has a multi-race deal. He'll be uh, at Indianapolis this weekend if you want to check that out. So, all right. Well, I know we're going to preview uh, on Thursday. We'll preview this truck race. But I mentioned this being the first race of the playoffs. Uh, we just settled up the, excuse me, grid uh, last weekend at Richmond. But Corey Heim picking up that regular season championship despite missing a race when he was ill at Gateway. Um, huge there for Corey Heim and that team. Yes. Uh, let's talk about who those uh who those drivers are that are going to be contending. 
Well, I mentioned Corey Heim right behind him uh, now in the reseeding. Eight points behind him is Zane Smith, who's got two victories on the year. Carson Hosevar is nine points back, has three wins on the year. And I'll go over and we'll talk about why they're ranked the way they are. Christian Eckes uh, with two wins is fourth. Grant Enfinger in fifth. Then you got Ty Majeski in sixth. Ben Rhodes in seventh. Nick Sanchez, a rookie who will be officially be rookie of the year now as he's the only rookie to have made the playoffs. And then Matt DiBenedetto and Matt Crafton. Now, when they reseed the drivers going into the playoffs, any playoff points you have built up, and some of Corey Himes came from winning that regular season championship. 15 points came from that. So he starts with 30 playoff points. Every time they reseed, if he advances, he gets those playoff points added back into his uh, total. So he had 30 playoff points. Zane Smith, 22. Uh, Carson Hosevar, 21. Christian Eckes, 19. Grant Enfinger, 17. Ty Majeski, even without a win, had 14 playoff points uh, built up. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And then Ben Rhodes at 13. Nick Sanchez at five, and then Matt DiBenedetto and Matt Crafton um, only having two. And they talked about that going into that final race. Um, that's where they're going to be lacking with it. Even if they made it into these playoffs, they're lacking there because everybody else got those points added in, and they have minimal points to start with. That's point, Jay, because uh, uh, I don't know. I've been kind of keeping an eye on this. I, there's seven drivers with double-digit playoff points. I, I don't think we see that very often, or we haven't up to this point. But you can just see how the drivers have figured out how important those playoff points are uh, to their standing as they go into the playoffs. And uh, to be that driver, to be the regular season champion and get those 15 extra playoff points is really huge. And and you mentioned it, Ty Majeski having 14 playoff points, he has no wins, um, is impressive in its own right. So I and and Matt, and I also applaud Nick Sanchez. He had uh, a lot of tough competitors in the uh, Rookie of the Year uh, season uh, in the Truck Series here, and to be on top and to make those playoffs, and in a in a pretty pretty commanding way. Uh, being eighth in the playoff uh, ranking is pretty impressive for a rookie. Well, and we saw it throughout the year. I'm actually surprised he didn't get a victory. He was so close a couple of times. Uh, we saw that and some mistakes of his doing, some not. But he persevered uh, throughout the season. And to come out, like you said, in the playoffs, um, had a really good points lead actually over his competitor at the next competitor's. But to maintain that, and like I said, he really very close to getting a, a win or two throughout the year. Um, I think he could be a real player here in the playoffs. I, I agree. I think he could be. I think he could uh, present some surprising uh, moments uh, for a rookie in the Truck Series playoffs this week, this uh, season uh, as they wind up their season. Only seven races left for the Truck Series, and uh, – uh, it's going to be fun to watch, uh, without a doubt. Okay, we are going to uh, see what else is, do you want to make sure we mention before we move on to our interview here. 
No, I think for the truck series here, it's going to be interesting, and I love them starting on a short track there at uh, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Um, you mentioned it, though, uh, three races, and we cut some drivers. Uh, I hate to point Matt Crafton. I know he barely got in. Uh, he needs to step it up, though, uh, and he's aware of it. I mean, the team's aware of it. Um, but, yeah, it's not real long, and we're going to have to eliminate some drivers, and there's some crazy tracks in that first three uh, three races. All right, I think Sharon's getting the uh, interview set up for us here. Are you loading that interview, Sharon? Uh, mute. I want to mention those next three races that are coming up in this first round for the playoffs for the truck series. August 11th, we've already mentioned Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. August 27th, the Milwaukee Mile. And the final, the last race of that round is going to be at Kansas Speedway, the Kansas Lottery 200, on September the 8th. So September 8th, they're already completing the first round of their playoffs and getting ready for the round of eight. Uh, for Those two races are Bristol and Talladega, and then that will determine who moves on. Oh, and it also includes uh, Homestead Miami Speedway in October. That race will determine who moves on to the championship four So at uh, Phoenix Raceway. So, yeah. Not much left to go here in the truck series. Well, and I tell you what, especially coming from the background he did, we were talking about rookie Nick Sanchez. A couple of short tracks which kind of fall into his wheelhouse. But, and I wouldn't go so far as to predict a win, but I think he can be a player there at Kansas. But so is Carson Hosovar. So I think that'll be interesting to see who's in and who's out and who needs that victory come Kansas going to get intense and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh and this is the year that i can't really say carson hosifar he has momentum on his side right now but we've seen drivers come in with momentum and fall off so we'll see what happens with carson here but there's so many other drivers that could pick up uh the mantle and win that championship and it's going to be hard to predict who that could be time majesty's been impressive Corey heim uh, who's it going to be, Jay? You know, I, I think what I, I meant to put this up on our hot topics if we have time. I know we have quite a few others, but just kind of get a feel for who, who people think they are. You mentioned it. Corey Heim been steady all year. That's why he's a championship points leader. Uh, but you, you mentioned Hosovar having the uh, the momentum. Zane Smith and Christian Eck has kind of been streaky. And then you got Grant Enfinger. He's another one just kind of laying in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And then Ty Majeski. Always solid, just doesn't knock out those wins, and we've seen what that can do, especially in this format. You win, and you're guaranteed to move on. And we saw Majeski do that last year, so we'll have to see if he can do it again. Yes, it is going to be do not miss racing in the NASCAR Truck Series, uh, without a doubt. Um, okay, let's go ahead and move on here to our interview. Um, you know that Xfinity Series race was won by John Hunter Nemechek. He drives the number 20 Mobile One Toyota and won uh, the Xfinity Series race out at Michigan International Speedway um, on Saturday. Uh, And, again, 
it didn't come without a few adversities for him to overcome. Uh, so we have the interview, the media interview. It's actually uh, just a little over 12 minutes long. Uh, it, it won't leave us a lot of time to comment, but I'm going to try to get that full interview in, if you will, Jay. Uh, and then you and I can comment on it uh, when it's over. Okay? All right. Okay, uh, we are now joined by our uh, winning driver of today's NASCAR Xfinity Series race, John Hunter Nemechek. John Hunter, can you just uh, start off by uh, giving us a um, lowdown on your car today and the, uh, talk about your, your big win? Uh, man, we had a fast way to GR Super, that's for sure. Um, just hats off to this whole team for bringing fast race cars to the racetrack every single weekend. I'm um, just like a guy that gets to hold the steering wheel and um, we were able to rebound and get the lead and search for clean air and uh, have enough speed to stay up front. And uh, maybe can, before we open it up to questions, talk about this was the 200th victory NASCAR Xfinity Series win for Joe Gibbs Racing. What's it mean to be the driver to take that one home? Uh, it means a lot to me um, being able to win multiple times this year in the Xfinity Series and win for Joe Gibbs Racing previously. It's it's a big accomplishment, um, not only for myself, but for Joe Gibbs Racing and the whole Xfinity program. Uh, to have 200 wins in the Xfinity program is a huge accomplishment um, for Joe Gibbs Racing. And uh, I was just the, the guy in the right place to bring home 200. And um, I, I think we've brought home, well, I guess, five this year. So we've been adding to it. Great. If you have a question for John Hunter, please raise your hand. We'll get you a mic. Start up here to Larry in the front. Yeah, I've heard a little bit earlier in interviews talking about uh, tying up with your, your teammate Gibbs. Was that early in the race, like 12 in? And explain what happened and just how tricky is the dynamic of, uh, you know, wanting to compete and win and do it fairly and deal with the dynamics of a teammate? Yeah. Um, I've been very vocal about teammates here recently, and uh, I think everyone has kind of seen that. Um, but when when it comes down to it, uh you're going to have teammates race around you when Joe Gibbs Racing brings three really fast Toyota GR Supras every single week. So um, it's it's on me. I take full accountability um, for the incident that happened. And uh, I was on the bottom. Um, Ty cleared me in uh, turn one on the top. And uh, I was trying to slide up behind him uh, to, to kind of get position uh, on the top off of turn two. Um, and when I crossed his wake, I, I feel like I put him in a bad arrow spot and uh, maybe should have checked up a little bit more um, just to not get him free. Um, and once he got free, it was trying to check up and stay off of him and um, couldn't quite do that. Uh, he got a little tap from me, which ended up kind of turning him even more sideways. And then I got tapped from behind and uh, we both went spinning. So um, just bad circumstances, uh, but that one's on me and take full accountability for it car damage and all from that and did you once you realized what the tire strategy would be were you confident could win? uh to be honest with you i i didn't know if we could win uh with the tire strategy that we had um not knowing kind of how much tires were going to be uh or how much they were going to mean towards the end of the race um i'm, I'm grateful that it worked out strategy wise um and I, I don't believe we had any damage. I mean, it was lightest contact possible, um, just enough to for both of us to go around. Any other question for John Hunter? Oh, go to here, Steve. 
Steve Conley, the podium finish. Uh, the first two stages, spent a lot of time uh, just, uh, chasing down Justin Allgaier. If he doesn't have his issues on pit road um, and the strategy works out the way it does, do you have enough cards to, to get around him? Um, to be honest, I, I don't know. Um, Circumstances-wise, I mean, we did win the second stage, right? So um, it's, it's kind of – we had a fast enough car, I feel like, um, but who knows what the circumstances what are you going to tweet there, Bob? You got some. You got that. My interview pulled up. <laughs> I. Uh, I. It. I'm pretty sure I. I did say that. Just dignity for Archibald. <laughs> Just with Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> SpencerCatchFriends.com. So, what are your plans for next year? <laughs> Knew this question was coming. Um, yeah, uh, for for me, I'm 100% focused on on this year and trying to win this Xfinity Championship. Uh, for me, it we set goals coming into this year as a 20 team um, in the Xfinity Series, and we want to go accomplish those. Um, so my full focus day in, day out right now is to go win this Xfinity championship and win as many races as I can. Um, I don't know what my plans are for 24, uh, to be honest with you. I have no clue. So uh, I feel like when my team comes up with something, uh, we, we definitely will announce it at that time. I mean, they floated your name around while Martin was still kind of dilly-dallying, and now since that's secure, I mean, when would you like to know what you're doing next year? Um you know, because you can't wait till the very last minute, or you just want to see what opens up. Uh, I, I think for me, um, I mean, I could wait until after Phoenix, right? Um, it, for me, it's it's all about head down, mindset right, not focusing on the future and focusing on the present. Um, it's going to try and win as many races as I possibly can and go win the championship. Um, I, that's one thing that I've yet to accomplish in the NASCAR ranks is winning a championship. So it's full bore on that. Go to Chris, and then up here to com. John Honor, when you look at the Xfinity playoffs, who do you think are going to be your biggest challengers, or do you think it's going to be a battle of not beating yourselves? Every single one of them and ourselves. Um, I mean, you, you can't count anybody out, right? Like, you, you cannot count anybody out. The moment that you count someone out is the moment that they can overtake that. So, for me, it's it's focusing on – trying to race everyone every single week. And, and I feel like when you count somebody out, um, they they are able to kind of overstep that mentality and, and probably pull something out that they you, you think that they wouldn't. Yep. Go in the center and then go to Lee. Eric Young with the superspeedway.com. Big points day for you today. How important is it to keep gaining points toward that regular season championship heading into the playoffs? Uh I mean, it's big to win the regular season championship. Um, I, I I think that there's value to that, right? 15 bonus playoff points going into it. Um, I think it's only really like three more bonus points, right, compared to second place. So um, I'd rather win a bunch of races, and if that means we win the regular season championship, then that's great. Um, but winning a race is five five playoff points, so that's a that's a big ordeal. Believe in Dustin. On Denny's podcast this week, he said that he thought the depth in the truck series was deeper than any series, and 
you've had deep associations with both. I mean, you, you've raced for a long time in trucks, um, gone back and forth in the Xfinity series. How would you answer that as far as where you think the greatest depth of, of competitive cars or trucks might be? Uh, I can answer this two different ways, right? From a driver's standpoint, I feel like both series have a lot of talent in them, right? Um, you don't really see one guy just rolling off into the sunset in either series. You see a bunch of guys winning races and running up front competitively. Um, but with the truck model and having a spec motor and everyone having the same spec motor um, and, and the rules being closer, I guess, it, it kind of equals it out to more of a level playing field, right? So um, I, I feel like that that has kind of separated the truck series and the Xfinity series a little bit. Um, so it's, it's really, I, I feel like talent-wise, probably close to the same. Um, I think he did say that there's probably 10 Xfinity cars on a regular basis that could possibly win an Xfinity race, right? Um, and there's maybe 15 trucks that can win a race um, every single weekend in the truck series. So I, I think when you look at talent, you, you aren't necessarily talking about driver talent, right? I think you're more or less talking about how close most of the truck teams are. I mean, one mistake in a truck race, and you go from leading to finishing tenth, right? So um, it's it's all about arrow and and trying to maximize your day on the truck side with how short the races are. You're welcome. And we'll Dustin, and then wrap it up here in the middle. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Um, I'm curious, just from a, a race fan perspective, of that you'd be looking ahead to next weekend, uh, Cup race at Indy, with having Shane Van Gisbergen back in in the race. Kamui Kobayashi and Rory Kostecki, uh Justin, let's, but let's go Kamui. <laughs> I'm just curious is to see those guys that don't always compete in the series. From your perspective as somebody who does this, but even though you're not competing against them, what's your interest level in seeing them and what are the things that you're interested in seeing um, with those those guys and what they can do? Uh, I, I think it's really cool for those guys to be able to come over and have a chance to run in, in the Cup Series, right? Um, I, I think what Shane did at Chicago, all the stars aligned uh, for, for sure, and he was super fast. Um, I, I think that the interest of it is, is super, super neat for me. Um, I'm the type of guy that wants to go race anything and everything. So um, for me, if, if I had the opportunity to go run a V8 supercar in Australia, I would definitely take that opportunity, right? So uh, I think it's really cool to see drivers be able to compete in different disciplines um, and, and being able to compete at a high level. Um, so for me, it's really neat, and hopefully I get the opportunity to do that in some other series as well. You're welcome. And we'll wrap it up here. Stephen Stump, Crunchwood.com. If I did the math right, I believe you and Austin Hill are now tied for the uh, regular season points lead. You guys have had tons of speed. They've also, you know, had tons of consistency. When you look at the tracks up ahead, do you feel that one or the other has a, an advantage? Um, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like we have some really good racetracks coming up for us. Obviously, Austin is a very good super speedway racer when it comes to Daytona. Um, but we have two road courses, Daytona, uh, Darlington, and Kansas left. And three of those I would circle is probably three of my favorite places to go to, right? Um, so uh, I feel really confident about it. Um, 
yeah, we're tied for points after the last two weeks we've had. So it's nice to rebound and kind of put ourselves back in position. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, Jay, your thoughts about the interview with uh, John Hunter Nemechek, the winner of the Xfinity Series race this weekend and the 200th win for Joe Gibbs Racing. Well, there is a whole lot there I don't even think we can respond to in the uh, short amount of time we got here. And I know some of them we'll touch upon when we do the race review um, as well as hot topics. But some big things I took away, um, the 200 wins for, for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek coming over and racing with this, th- them this year, you know, making his contribution with the five wins he's gotten so far this year. But he mentioned it when it came to racing around teammates and the, those issues bringing fast cars for all teams. I mean, that puts you in a certain position to overcome certain things. You've got to race around your teammates. Um, so that was really interesting, uh, I found anyway. I, I, you know, Watching that replay, I know he took credit and blame for it, but if he checks up a little bit more to, to give his teammate room, he might add another teammate or somebody else behind him, get into him or pass him. So I, I, I can't say he did anything wrong. I mean, truthfully, um, he didn't slide up and hit him. He slid in behind him, but it caused that arrow, um, loosened him up, which caused the problem where he hit him. Um, so I don't know that that was really necessarily a bad on him. Cause like I said, uh, he had, uh, Sammy Smith was his, the third teammate there at Joe Gibbs racing behind him. That was also involved mm-hmm. in that wreck, um, that ended up in it, but mentioned the speed. John Hunter Nemechek came back to win the race. Ty Gibbs came back to finish fourth. Speed covers a lot of things. Uh, but, yeah, he seemed very humble. And uh, he mentioned it, that he has been critical of his teammates recently. Uh, but he took ownership of this particular uh, thing. So I uh, give him credit for that. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that uh, there was plenty to go around there on that particular uh, point. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can look at it that Ty could have given him a little more room to get back in too, uh, which is what he said he was trying to do. Um, but you know, everybody's focused on different things throughout a race. You're talking about milliseconds sometimes that are involved in making some of the decisions, uh, that these guys make on the track all day long. And, um, a lot can happen. So it's just one of those things that happens. Uh, he was able to kind of rebound and and uh, get back at it and go after that victory, which is the most important thing. So um, I think uh, what other- we'll do now, Jay, is move over to um, our review of the Xfinity Series race that took place over at uh, Michigan this weekend. Uh, And I'm going to go ahead. Did you have one other thing you wanted to mention, though? Uh, I was just going to say, and I know this will tie into maybe some of the hot topics um, of what he's looking at, though, whether it be the point standings, the the championship, Mm -hmm. he's focused on the here and now. Yeah, his name has been linked upward uh, for a couple of different rides, I believe. Um, I like that he's just focused on that. He knows if he's winning races, contending and winning championships, everything else will take care of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Going to 
the uh, Cabo Wabo 250 at Michigan International Speedway. It was John Hunter Nemechek winning that race at the age of 26, driving the number 20 Mobile One Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. And Ben Bashore is his crew chief. Uh, it was his seventh victory in 88 Xfinity Series races and his fifth victory in 16th top 10 finish this year. His first victory and second top 10 finish in four races at Michigan uh, International Speedway. Josh Berry ended up finishing second, posting his third top 10 finish in three races at Michigan and his 13th top 10 finish this season. Brandon Jones finished in third place posting his sixth top ten finish in seven races at Michigan. Parker Retzlaff, who finished ninth, was the highest finishing rookie of this race. And to give an overview of what happened in this race, uh, that John Hunter Niemicek won, earning Joe Gibbs Racing their 20th, or I'm sorry, 200th Xfinity Series win in the series. He had to overcome an early wreck, a late caution, and an angry teammate uh, to claim a milestone victory in Saturday's Cabo Wabo 250 in Michigan. Um, he had that incident with the Ty Gibbs uh, in, early in the race, and he was able to rebound to win the Cabo Wabo 250 uh, for his fifth win of the season and 200th victory of the series for Joe Gibbs Racing. The pole sitter, Josh Berry, finished in second, matching his best finish of the season. And Brandon Jones, in the number nine, placed third. That was his best finish driving for junior motorsports. Ty Gibbs uh, finished in the next position, followed by Sam Mayer, to round out the top five. Then it was Riley Earp, tallied the third most uh, points at Michigan and took the checkered flag in sixth place followed by Ross Chastain, Parker Kligerman, Parker Rutzlaff, the rookie. Jeb Burton runs out the top ten. Justin Algauer was pretty dominant early. He won the opening stage in a series-high eighth stage victory of the season. Uh, a series of late-race miscues dropped him, though, to 14th in the finishing order. John Hunter Nemechek took the second stage for the win, and there were seven lead changes among six drivers and seven cautions for 31 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 124.931 miles per hour. Your thoughts, Jay, about the top ten here at Michigan? Like I said, I, this is uh, especially following the Arkham and Arden series race uh, was going to be really tough, but we saw it competitive. The recoveries, uh, starting with your winner, John Hunter Nemechek. Um, but Ty Gibbs finishing up there, I mentioned. And unfortunately, Justin Algar, not in the top 10, but as you mentioned, was one of the dominant cars. And I heard that question asked during the interview. Would have been interesting had Algar been in there mixing it up, I think. But I think down the line, there's some other stories there to look at. Uh, JRM, uh, aside from uh, Justin Algar there. We've seen them come back to what their form was last year. Josh Berry in second. Brandon Jones, you mentioned, his best finish with JRM in third. And then Sam Mayer, who just came off a victory, coming home in fifth place. I think they have really found their speed, and they're putting that team together for this championship run. 
And then the others that I see there is on the playoff cut bubble, Parker Quigerman with the top 10 finish, as well as Riley Herbst. He's had an up and down season um, throughout, started out really strong. You see him coming back and finishing top 10 again every week. Uh, I think that playoff bubble is going to be really tight and how far they can step forward then as they pick up that momentum. Absolutely. Um, there were a total of 34 cars, of 38 cars, uh, that ended up finishing this race, but only 20 of those cars finished all 125 laps. Uh, those in between finished a lap or more down. Uh, and then there were uh, only four cars having incidents taking them completely out of the race. Sammy Smith had that incident on lap 11. Uh, it was an accident taking him out of the race. Mason Maggio was out of the race on lap 16 because of an accident. And Connor Mosack, we mentioned his name in the uh, uh, ARCA racing as well. Uh, he had an accident on lap 39 that took him out of the race. And an electrical issue took Kyle Weatherman out of the race on lap 91. So only four cars not finishing this particular race. The average, mar- the margin of victory uh, for the race was 1.495 seconds. So uh, a pretty commanding lead for John Hunter Nemechek uh, when he actually finished this race after overcoming, as you mentioned. Well, and again, there you got to actually watch the actual race to see it because I believe Josh Berry was closing and mentioned Justin Algar may have still had one of the fastest cars on the track, just wasn't in position to be contending at that point, unfortunately. Um, And and that's one of the things several teams talked about that, and I know we'll talk about it at the cup level with Tyler Reddick. It's all the things, all the pieces that got to come together, the mistakes on pit road, Mm -hmm. the miscues, you know, a little bit of misjudgments. Even John Hunter Nemechek talked about it. For a championship run, you can't be making those little mistakes. And I know it's tough. You mentioned it at what here in Michigan, running 200 miles an hour or 190 to 200 miles an hour. You don't have a whole lot of time to make those decisions, but you've got to make good ones at all times to have that good championship run. Now, being at the top of your game is is making those quick decisions in, in adverse conditions uh, that can mean all the difference between winning and losing. And so uh, he is absolutely right about that in the end. Uh, it comes down to uh, the tiniest little decisions uh, that can be made in the course of a race uh, that makes all that difference. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points here uh, for the Xfinity Series. I know we kind of did uh, to a certain degree, but let's go ahead and cover those. Well, it got talked about in the interview, and it is going to be a key point here in these next couple of races as they head into the playoffs. John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill tied in points at 811 for the regular season uh, championship. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek has five wins and five stage wins for a total of 30 playoff points right now, whereas Austin Hill, uh, a tiebreaker right now, would go to Nemechek. Austin Hill has four wins with three stage wins, and 23 playoff points. Then you got Justin Algar, who's got a race victory. Cole Custer in fourth. Um, been on a bit of a hot streak. I know it cooled off just a little bit. We'll see how that um, how he bounces back. But he does have two victories on the season. Then you have Josh Berry, 
the junior motorsports team. Sam Mayer just got his first victory. Rookie Chandler Smith in seventh. Then Daniel Hemrick mentioned Riley Herbst uh, in ninth at 574 as we get down close to the cut line. Sheldon Creed is at 552 uh, on the good side of the line right now. And then Parker Quiggerman is in 12th, the final spot, at 534 points. Brandon Jones has just had that third-place run uh, sitting outside. Oh, yep, you're right. You're right. I thought that I thought that Kligerman was still out. You're right. Um, yeah. I was just reading down the points, but uh, Parker Kligerman in 12th will actually get bounced out as Jeb Burton in 14th has a victory. Uh, thank you, Sharon. I hadn't gotten that far yet. So that'll put the cut line at 534 to 552, which is 18 points between Kligerman and uh, Sheldon Creed. Um, and Brandon Jones right there in, in between the two at 507 and like i said junior motorsports finding that speed um gonna need that push for brandon jones for sure to get him in but you also then got yeah. brett moffett kaz Grala, ryan sieg parcher parker retzlaff jeremy clements and josh williams rounding out the top 20. i believe there's two more eligible drivers josh williams is still eligible even though he's down a race uh he got the waiver on that and then you got Anthony Alfredo and Joe Graff Jr., the other two, with all 21 starts. So there are still some wild cards there that we know could pick up a win. Um, it's going to be tough, though, as, as we talked about the competition level here in the Xfinity Series. And I thought that was something great John Hunter Nemechek mentioned when comparing the Truck Series to the Xfinity. I'd kind of forgotten about that or not even thought about it from that aspect. The Truck Series having the spec engines. Um, makes a difference Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to the tightness of the competition as far as teams, not necessarily driver talent. But I thought that was a really good point by him. Yes, indeed. indeed. Uh, Another thing I want to point out here is we've got two rookies that uh, right now have secured a spot into the playoffs. Uh, Chandler Smith, of course, has that victory, so he's pretty secure, as does Sammy Smith, uh, the two Smith guys. Uh, Chandler and Sammy, not related as far as I know, uh, have both uh, secured their spots into the playoffs in their rookie season. So that tells you how how competitive that race has been and will continue to be competitive as we watch the playoffs uh, play out here. Uh, But there's still some races left in the Xfinity Series before they close out uh, and get ready for their playoffs. Uh, run here in the Xfinity Series. Let me kind of cover that real quick. John Hunter Nemechek, of course, won the Cabo Wabo 250. In the month of August, they still have Indianapolis, Watkins Glen, and Daytona. And then in September, the September races uh, before the play, their round of 12 are Darlington and then Kansas. Kansas is on September the 9th. So what's that? That's uh, six more races left. No, five more races left before their playoffs begin. Yeah, so um, the the clock is ticking here in the Xfinity Series. And drivers like Parker Kligerman, who's been racing really hard to get into this playoff, it's not good news for him uh, to see that um, uh, Brendan Jones and that junior motorsports organization is starting to turn the corner because Brandon Jones would like to 
uh, get his spot into those playoffs as well. Uh, and it's not good news for Sheldon Creed either. Uh, even though he's at 552, he's probably fairly secure. Uh, but, yeah, some of these guys that are on the bubble, if, if any of these drivers below get a win, it could still displace them. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six drivers. One, two, three, four, five. Actually, it's five because Parker Figurman is below. Five drivers that don't have a win, and those are the most vulnerable drivers um, when it comes to one of these drivers below the cut line coming up with the win in these next five races. So we're talking about Daniel Hemrick. Uh, Josh Berry's up there. Daniel Hemrick's up there. Riley Erbst is in ninth place. The ones that are most vulnerable is probably going to be Sheldon Creed. Sheldon Creed is the most vulnerable if somebody below that cut line, uh, if somebody else gets that win. So then after him, the next vulnerable driver is going to be uh, Riley Erbst. So those guys uh, need to come up with a win, too, if they want to secure their spot. Well, you mentioned it there. I said Riley Herbst had kind of returned to that running top 10. Uh, it wasn't but a few weeks ago where he was the one in Sheldon Creed's spot of week in and week out bouncing between in and out of the cut, uh, the cut line, especially with Jeb Burton having that victory and jumping up. Um, he's, he's secured himself a little bit more, not 100% obviously yet at this point, as he's only got uh, six points over uh, Sheldon Creed. I'm sorry, uh, 22 points over Sheldon Creed, um, Sammy Smith in between there, but then uh, 40 points from uh, Parker Kligerman. But a win by any of those drivers below him changes that, so that's where you really got to watch. I think this bubble line might be just as interesting as that championship, uh, regular season championship battle between uh, John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill. Very interesting because there are drivers below that cut line that could come up with that win. Um, let's go ahead now and move to the Cup Series race, the Firekeepers four, Casino 400 that took place at Michigan. Chris Busher made it two in a row at the age of 30, driving the number 17 Castle Edge Ford uh, for RFK Racing. Scott Graves continues as his crew chief. It was his fourth victory in 280 uh, Cup Series races, his second victory in 10th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory in second top 10 finish in 13 races at Michigan International Speedway. Martin Truex Jr. finished second, posting a 16th top 10 finish in 33 races at Michigan and his 13th top 10 finish. Truex has yet to win at Michigan. He comes so close, but it just hasn't happened yet. I was hoping yesterday was going to be his day. Uh, Denny Hamlin finished in third, his 18th top 10 finish in 33 races at Michigan. Ty Gibbs finished 11th. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, These drivers have all clinched their spot in the Cup Series playoffs by virtue of a win. That's Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, Ryan Blaney, Chris Busher, Jerry Logano, Tyler Reddick, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. So um, 
if, as we look at the recap of that race, it was a nail-biting victory for Chris Busher after the competition uh, that uh, we saw during that race. Uh, the following truths can be held self-evident uh, after Michigan, and that is that Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing is officially back. Chris Busher is, is rapidly gaining elite status as a driver, and Ford has maintained its dominance in the Irish Hills. Chase Elliott, well, he's going to have to win one in the next three races to make the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. The fastest car did not win Sunday's race. Uh, I think it's undisputed that Martin Truex Jr. had the fastest car in Sunday's race, uh, but it was Chris Busher and Strategy that won that race for him. Uh, Chris Busher, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, got his second win of the year back-to-back after winning at Richmond last week and getting a win at Michigan this week. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. was in second, followed by Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Blaney, and Eric Jones to round out the top 10. Uh, Busher led 52 laps, the most of any driver. He took the lead with 18 laps remaining following a green flag pit stops and battled with Martin Truex Jr. for the rest of the race. Uh, He gave the lead up with 12 laps remaining, but took it right back on the next lap. The pole winner, Christopher Bell, finished in 13th. He had contact with the wall on Sunday and struggled with the car the entire rest of the race. Sunday's start of the race was delayed because of a light rain, and after getting underway on Monday, 74 laps were completed before the red, um, actually, uh, 74 laps were completed before the race was red flagged and postponed to Monday. Stages one and two were both won by Martin Truex Jr. There were 26 lead changes among 16 drivers, nine cautions for 43 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 131.159 miles per hour. Your thoughts about the top 10 finishers at Michigan in the NASCAR Cup Series? Well, you could have 10 different headlines um, when covering this race. Uh, first off, start out with the return of, as you mentioned, the return of RFK Racing. Um, it could be that Martin Truex gets beat on a Monday. I don't have the statistics, but his uh, credentials when it comes to Monday afternoon or Monday morning racing has been rather phenomenal. And this really, as you mentioned, was his race. I don't know what happened to the car um, just didn't quite have enough to get back by Chris Busher. I will tell you one thing, having watched it, uh, Chris Busher adjusted to how Martin Truex was racing. They talked about it throughout mm-hmm. the race. Truex could put his car down on the bottom and make passes whenever, wherever he wanted. And Chris Busher knew that and kind of took away his line, put him in a position, of that arrow position, um, when he got mm-hmm. inside of him, and that's kind of what cost him. But we saw several others that had good cars. Denny Hamlin, I know he said he felt like he could compete with the, the 19. Brad Keselowski, the other RFK car, finishing fourth. Uh, Daniel Suarez, the battle for stage two. That was one where Truex came ripping back through the field when he pitted and uh, most of them didn't. Truex came ripping back through the field and just got Suarez 
for that stage point and uh, stage two points and the bonus point. I think that could be huge. It was especially huge. Daniel Suarez giving it all he got there for uh, yeah. track house racing. We'll talk about that when we talk about the points. But then go back to just Ford. Uh, we haven't seen this. is only Ford's fourth win, two of them coming in the last two weeks by Chris Buescher. So to see them continue their streak at Michigan was actually kind of surprising. Um, there were 32 cars running at the end of this race. Uh, 21 of those cars finished all 200 laps. Uh, the rest are drivers that uh, finished a lap or more down. Uh, Kyle Busch, how disappointing for him. On lap 14, he had an accident that took him out of the race. Chase Elliott also out on lap 34 because of an accident. William Byron uh, out because of the DVP policy, damage vehicle policy. Uh, Josh Berry had an accident, taking him out on lap 50. Alex Bowman had a steering issue, taking him out of the race on lap 134. Um, but not a good day for Hendrick Motorsports out at Michigan yesterday. Well, there you go. There's another. <laughs> I was going to say there's another headline for you. But to me, the, going a little bit deeper with those drivers you mentioned, it was that losing the car, whether you'd be loose on the inside of uh, somebody else or even yeah. on your own. I think Chase Elliott was on his own. Uh, I'm trying to remember with William Byram if he had other cars around him. But the car being that on edge and these guys not being able to catch it. Um, so that was an interesting thing, and we saw that come into play with Truex there in the closing laps. Uh, I think that was a huge storyline. To me, the other storyline was some of these that you mentioned, uh, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, uh, believe it or not, are the cut line, the bubble cut line drivers. There was a lot of movement and shifting around that cut line that could come into play in these final races. Uh, Bubba Wallace, I know, capitalized and ended up 18th. But he was one that led twice for 21 laps. Um, really mid-race, thought he might be one in contention at the end. Uh, didn't play out that way. But that would have been huge if he'd been able to finish even further up um, to build upon his cushion, if you will, at the playoff cut line. True. I forgot to mention the margin of victory of this race was close, 0.152 thousandths of a second. So Truex was there. He just couldn't quite catch Busher. Uh, you bring up some great storylines uh, throughout this field. Uh, and, again, uh, this is going to be uh, a really uh, fun uh, wind down to the playoffs for the Cup Series because uh, it's just going to get more intense as they continue to wind down. In August, Indianapolis, the road course, then you've got Watkins Glen, another road course, and Daytona International Speedway is going to be the last race of the regular season for the Cup Series. They start their playoffs, the round of 16, starts September 3rd out at Darlington Raceway. Only three more races and two of those races on road courses and then a super speedway track to figure out who's going to be the final 16 to battle for the championship. Well, and we've seen it. Uh, road course racing here as of late has certainly picked up in intensity, but you're talking about a one like Indianapolis Raceway Park. 
and I know Mike put it up in the hot topics, they've changed the um, restart zone back a little bit to try and avoid that log jam we've, we've seen in the past going into turn one. But that one to me really is a super wild card when it comes to road courses, kind of like the, the Roval. Now Watkins Glen, that one would be a little more, um, what do I want to call it, uh, stereotypical road course. You're going to see the, the good road course racers um, up front in that one. But then you go right back into the wild card of Daytona. So, yeah, this could be a huge change in points over the next three races, I think, anyway. Yes, indeed. Um, it is indeed going to be a huge um, uh, storyline as uh, these races tick off. Um, and, you know, it, it's the same thing. I don't know that we know uh, which driver is going to win the championship in the Cup Series either. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. has been dominant, but it's been shown that he can be beaten. Um, there are a lot of drivers at the top of this list in the points that uh, could end up winning this championship. How do you pick who's going to be the dominant one in the playoffs, Jay? I don't, right now, I don't think you can. Uh, you know, right now, you're looking at, as you mentioned, Martin Truex Jr., and just in the regular season championship has taken that points lead by 57 points over now Denny Hamlin. William Byron early in the season looked to be a runaway for that regular season championship with his four wins and had 22 playoff points, which is still the most, but he's 96 points back now of Martin Truex. Um, that tells you, you mentioned it with this past week, HMS kind of having the hiccup in the season. Uh, now's not the time to be having that as you set yourself up for the playoffs. Exactly right. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see what happens. Uh, that playoff cut line is the same thing. Michael McDowell's been sitting in that 16th spot. Uh, did we cover the points here Yeah. No, um, not fully. I, the only three I hit were the top three. I can run them down real quick, though. Uh, let's see. Fourth spot is Christopher Bell. Kevin Harvick, pretty secure in fifth, even without the win. Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain, both have victories. Brad Kozlowski, again, pretty solid in points, sitting at 651 when it comes to getting in on points if they don't pick up a victory. Uh, ninth is Kyle Busch. Ryan Blaney has a victory. Chris Buescher now up to 11th with two victories. That'll change with the reseeding. Joey Logano in 12th has a victory, but uh, dropped back a little bit. Same with Tyler Reddick. Got a victory, four uh, stage wins for nine playoff points, but 13th in points. Now here's where it gets a little tense. Uh, Bubba Wallace in 14th is at 541. 11 points behind him is Ricky Stenhouse, but he's got the win, so that uh, secures him. 16th is actually now... Ty Gibbs by three points. Michael McDowell out by three points. And two more points behind him at 481 is Daniel Suarez. Then you go about 20 points back and you got A.J. Allmendinger. We know the road courses are their specialty. It's kind of what they've been looking at and banking on. In 20th, you got Alex Bowman. Uh, rough season for HMS on that aspect of the injuries. Um, see them get back to form. But behind him in 21st, former winner, Austin Sindrick. Then is Chase Elliott. you got Justin Haley, who's won at Daytona. Eric Almarola, prior winner in the Cup Series, uh, 24th. 
So there's some names. Eric Jones, uh, I know he said something about wishing Darlington were on this side of the playoffs as he's picked up victories there. <laughs> and in 29th, you got Austin Dillon. So we know there are winners back there. Chase Briscoe in 31st. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, I think, at the cut line. I think it's going to be interesting at the top uh, because a lot can change during these playoffs uh, with the field that we have. And I think it's going to be extremely fun to watch. And, again, all three of these playoffs are going to be do not miss racing. Most certainly. I, right now I know we're looking at the Indianapolis road course as we lead into hot topics. That's been one as of recent anyway, whether or not that road course goes away and they go back to the actual Brickyard 400 on the oval track. So that's one to think about uh, for the coming years. I, I don't think that we've seen an official decision on that yet, have we? Um, I don't think so. Uh, we'll, I'll have to look that up. I think I remember seeing some indications that that uh, is certainly a possibility, uh, but I don't think it's been officially announced yet. Um, Okay, we are at the top of the hour. That means it's time for Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, and, Jay, you kind of led into it here. Uh, we do have Mike Orzel here. Welcome to the show, Mike. hey Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Andy is also going to be joining us. So uh, he's not here yet, but I expect him momentarily. Um, but... Uh, Let's while we're waiting for him. Why don't we do an update on the um, uh, fantasy game for the Band for Racing group? All right, let me pull that up real quick. Uh, truck series. Tommy's the man at the top by a point. He's got an eighty point. Uh, eighty points. Sam is one point behind him at seventy nine. I'm at sixty seven. Andy and Sharon, 66 each. Mike, 63. Brian, 59. James, 57. And Owen at 54. On the Xfinity side, it is our fearless leader there in Sharon. A big gap at 107 to 96. Brian's in second at 96. Andy, 94. James, 91. Me and Mike, side by side, uh, 83 points. Owen, 73. Tommy, 72. And Sam, 71. On the cup side, it's been James all year long. 139 points. I'm now in second with Sam at 121. Tommy's at 118. Mike and Owen at 114. Sharon 105. Brian 99. And Andy 93. And overall, uh, 40 points top to bottom. James 287. Sharon 278. Myself and Sam 271. Mike, or no, I'm sorry, Tommy at 270, Mike at 260, Brian 254, Andy 253, and Owen 241. Uh, this weekend with the truck series, we're going to double point, so I think that's going to be a huge starting factor there for that series as well as the overall. Yeah. Uh, Andy has made it. Uh, welcome, Andy. I have made it. Thank you, Sharon. And unfortunately, I tuned in with all the dismal news that I'm not doing so well at <laughs> the fantasy point. So I need to uh, I need to get better for sure. Not not doing so well here, but to Jay's point, double points come into play here uh, pretty soon. So uh, definitely some time to make some improvements. Say this, Andy. You are very loyal to your drivers, and I respect that. 
Yeah, and you, didn't you know, take sometimes that works out. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does not. Um, but yeah, sometimes I got some surprises at my sleeve, and uh, with weekends, with weekends like the Indianapolis Road Course, you never know. So we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off. And Andy, I think I'm going to start with you today. You get to pick our first hot topic. All right. And with that one, Sharon, I think we need to go for a pretty big one and one that kind of, you know, took the headlines over the weekend. Noah Gregson, unfortunately, suspended uh, by NASCAR as well as his team um, that will see him out of that car for at least the foreseeable future. Uh, so certainly curious what everyone's thoughts are on that. All right. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? This, I mean, I get it, it but – Let's, let's take a look at this in, in context here. What was Noah Gregson suspended for? For the heinous, unspeakable crime of liking the wrong meme on Instagram. I get it. It was insensitive. It was in poor taste. Probably not the smartest move to be browsing social media and with your official, with your name on it kind of profile anyway. But to suspend a guy, and now Jordan Bianchi reported this morning that he's not coming back. Legacy Motor Club is parting ways with Noah Gregson. Jim Utter did say that that's not finalized yet, um, but it looks like Noah Gregson may be out permanently from the number 42 for liking the wrong meme on Instagram. I, I don't know. I, this is, it seems way overkill. Uh, and there hasn't even been like a path to redemption announced by NASCAR or anything. You know, as usual, we got to make the apology tour. We got to kiss the ring. We got to bow the knee. You know, whatever you need to do. But none of that has even been set forth for Noah Gregson. He's out, and that's probably going to be the end for Noah Gregson. If Legacy Motor Club does indeed part ways with him, which is what it looks like is going to happen. I doubt that we ever see Noah Gregson back in the NASCAR Cup Series again, and maybe not in any of NASCAR's top three divisions. The only thing he's got going for him right now is sponsorship, which to my knowledge, his sponsors of Bass Pro, Black Rifle Coffee, and a few of the others that he's got with him have not announced that they're terminating any sort of contracts with Noah Gregson. It's yet to be seen whether they are going to stick around or not, but that might be his only saving grace to buy himself back into a backmarker Xfinity or Truck Series team all because he chose to like the wrong meme on Instagram. This has gotten overboard. I understand trying to to present a sensitive image and inclusivity and all that stuff, but there's got to be a line. We can't drop a hammer, this big of a hammer on a guy, for something like this. It's, It's way overkill. And I really don't think that there's a way back for Noah Gregson from this. I know Kyle Larson was in. He, he did something even worse and got, got fired from his job and lost all his sponsors, et cetera. But he had a way forward, if for no other reason, than Kyle Larson has a resume as a winner in the Cup Series as well as a big winner in pretty much every dirt track car, whether it's late model sprints or anything else that he gets in. Noah Gregson doesn't have a resume like that. He's still trying to build a resume and he now he doesn't have that opportunity anymore. And it's probably going to end up ending Noah Gregson's career in NASCAR because he clicked the, the like button on a meme that people found insensitive. There's got to be some sort of a way to not go way overkill like this. I don't know what it is, but this is not a good look for anybody. Yeah, are you still with us? Oh, yeah. Did you go to me? Okay. Um, 
this is one of those where I, I agree with Mike, but I got to kind of disagree. Like you said, we understand it. And having come from the military, this was certainly one of those things you had to watch as far as how you represented. And that even includes what you like on social media. The thing that bothers me is, is he didn't repost it. He didn't make any comments on it. His name was just on there under the light. Uh, you know, um, so I understand Mike's frustration with that, and, and I certainly do from Noah Gregson's side of, again, that costing him possibly his ride for the future, not just a race, um, which was initially uh, the, the report was the team was suspending him for the race, and then NASCAR stepped in with an indefinite. I understand their policy and their goal, but there again is their training. And, and I, it doesn't make it right if uh, you know Mike pointed out of with his name attached to create the, a, a secondary account that doesn't officially have your name. That, that doesn't fix the problem because I think you could go through any one of these drivers, and this just happens to be when we're talking about NASCAR. Um, the driver, but any career field, any job, go through and look at somebody's social media. I guarantee you find something that somebody could point out is not in the best of taste. So that's where I don't think it's a, appropriate, like Mike said, to take it to this extreme. Correcting it, yes. Maybe even a one-race suspension or, or whatever. Going through the sensitivity training, got it but to be out of the car, which I think there's more to that story, and I know Mike kind of alluded to it. We've talked about John Hunter Nemechek, his connections with Toyota, Legacy Motor Club going to Toyota next year. I think there's more going on there than what we know about. Yeah, it does appear to be that. I'm just stunned that NASCAR hasn't stepped up or Legacy Motorsports haven't stepped up and said, Anything to the effect of once he completes sensitivity training, uh, we'll bring him back. Uh, that's that's not where this seems to be headed, and and it's kind of surprising, uh, considering that that's the way these types of things have been handled in the past. Uh, so this is certainly breaking precedence, and leads uh, I think a lot of us to think that there's something more to this story uh, that's not uh, uh, not available to us. Uh, we're on the outside looking in on this. I get the feeling something more has happened here, and this has just kind of been used as the uh, vehicle uh, to give Noah Gregson an, an exit. Now, maybe, and I don't know, I'm speculating here, um, maybe Noah Gregson has decided that this isn't what he thought it was going to be, and, and he wants a way out. I don't know. Um you know, maybe maybe uh, Legacy Motorsports was looking for a way uh, to to let Noel Gregson go, especially in his first season with them. Not that they've been having a great season themselves, because they haven't. Um, but you know, it does seem like a lot uh, for simply liking a meme. Um, and at the very least, I think they. They should have uh, given him a way back into the sport by going through that sensitivity training. Uh, the fact that they're not doing that really is a head-scratcher for me. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, all really good points, quite honestly. And, and you know, I, I'll echo those sentiments. I mean, I, I think that the punishment didn't really fit the crime. 
Now, granted, what he liked was inappropriate for sure and probably warrant some kind of disciplinary action and, and some sensitivity training. However, um, just to, to suspend somebody and straight up let them go, if that's in fact what is taking place here, is pretty overkill. And, you know, I'll admit, especially as it pertains to Mike and I, we've been pretty tough on Noah over the years. You know, but I, I really feel for him in this particular instance. Uh, he's a rookie in the Cup Series, driving for a team that has underperformed pretty grossly this year. Eric Jones has been okay, but even he hasn't been that great and certainly quite a bit off from where they were last year. So, you know, for the team, you know, to let Noah go, you know, in his first year with the team over something like this, you know, tells me that, um, maybe there's more to the story, like you said, Sharon, but I just, I, I, you know, I really kind of feel for him here. I think that he was put in a difficult situation as a rookie with a team that's struggling, you know, and the rumors were out there before this even happened that John Hunter Nemechek potentially could take over that car next year. Of course, with the switch to Toyota, uh, John Hunter being a Toyota driver, you can see how that might come into play. Um, you know, and that's the other side of this, too, is Noah went to this team, and then they promptly announced that they would leave Chevrolet and go to Toyota, so they've been at a disadvantage all season long. And let's face it, he's had a very dismal season looking at the result that has not been good. So um, maybe it was just time for a change, I guess, and they used this situation as, as the scapegoat to get him out of the car early, um, as all signs were sort of pointing that way anyway. But um where Noah goes from here, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's the end for him, per se. I mean, he did pretty well in Xfinity last year. Last year was a bit of a breakout season for him where he could win multiple races and contend in the playoffs, and I think that that's probably not going to be overlooked. I'm sure somebody will value that and, and maybe give him a chance down the road. I don't see any cup opportunities on the horizon, though, and you know, maybe this is a good chance for him to regroup, go back to Xfinity, and maybe get his career going again. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, just really unfortunate. And, and like I said, you know, I've been pretty tough on him, but I I think that in this particular instance, this is, this is a bit much, you know. And you couple that with how poorly the team has performed this year, and I, I don't put all that on Noah. I think that there's been a lot of other circumstances that have led to that poor performance, notwithstanding the driver. Um, I, I don't put it all on him. So I don't know. It's just a, a tough scenario, but I, I I think that this is it's pretty overkill that you can like the wrong thing and have it completely ruin your career. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that it's overkill, and it's something that really needs to stop, you know. And what Noah did wasn't smart either, but – to lose your job over something like that is, is it's pretty ridiculous. And, and it's something that I really hope we see less of moving forward. Mike, your follow-up. I, I wholeheartedly agree with y'all. There, there is obviously other things at play. We talked about, I think it was just last Thursday, we talked about the potential for Legacy Motor Club wanting to get rid of Noah Gregson to make room for Eric, uh, not Eric Jones, um, uh, uh, John Hunter Nemechek, yeah. right? So we talked about that before. It sounded like Noah was on the way out. And this, this looks like, oh, it's a convenient opportunity for LMC to get rid of Noah Gregson without having the look of firing a rookie at the end of his rookie season. I would say that the long-term optics of this are far, far, far worse. 
I would think it would be a better look for LMC to say, look, it's business. Noah is a Chevrolet driver. We're going to Toyota. We need to let Noah go because we need to bring in a Toyota driver. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. But now the optics are we are firing somebody for liking the wrong meme on Instagram. And now the conversation isn't about, well, did they give him a fair chance to develop as a rookie or anything like that? Now the discussion that we're having is, is this way, way overkill for the reason that Noah Grayson is now apparently out at Legacy Motor Club? And I think the consensus, aside from some of the more extreme elements, is, yeah, this is way overkill. No path to redemption, no, no chance to redeem himself. Even if, he didn't, even if he was going to be out at LMC at the end of the season, send him for a race or two. Okay, great. That's, that, that's probably reasonable, but to, to let the guy – suspend him indefinitely and then just let him go from the team, it looks way overkill. And I think as a broader picture, people are getting real tired of the over-politicization and, you know, for lack of a better term, the woke issue. You look at what's happened to Bud Light over the past six months or so, where their sales are down a solid 25% because they went too far in alienating their core customer demographic. I don't know that this is necessarily going to alienate NASCAR's core customer demographic, but it's another straw on that camel's back. There's been a lot of strain in that as far as NASCAR getting involved in some of these hot topic political uh, situations, and there's been a lot of frustration from fans about it, and I think this is another straw on that back. And NASCAR is, is, is yes, it's obviously it's a legacy motor club driver and a decision, but NASCAR has gotten involved. NASCAR as well has suspended Noah Gregson on top of this. So even if LMC says, all right, Noah's good with us, he can come back, to my understanding, NASCAR says that Noah Gregson is still out and has not provided any sort of a path for, to allow for Noah Gregson to get back into a car, whether it's at LMC or otherwise. And I think that's way, way overkill. And the optics, the short-term optics, okay, cool, we want to make it look like we're super sensitive and we're defending whatever that, whatever statement they want to make here. They've got their short-term look, but I think long-term it's going to be far more detrimental versus if they had just come in with a more reasonable punishment that more appropriately fit the crime, at least in my opinion. I'm trying to trying to think back to uh, what it was that Denny Hamlin's comment had made that he was required uh, sensitivity training, and he was able to do on the Friday prior to the next race. He didn't even miss a race. Okay, the team suspended Noah Gregson um, on their own. It's their business, their company. Again, I'm not 100% behind them, but I understand their decision. But you mentioned that NASCAR stepping in and then putting that indefinite suspension with no uh, course of redemption. And, th- and that's where I have the real issue, like we've talked about. Denny Hamlin was able to complete whatever requirement prior to the next race. Uh, there, and there again, it was for a statement he made. Noah didn't make any statement or post anything. It was merely, as Mike said, liking something that he shouldn't have. And he acknowledged that. He admitted that. His statement said, hey, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Um, so that's where I have the problem. I do see that there is a road back for him, even at the cup level. There's a couple of teams out there that are looking to build for the future, don't know where his sponsor falls. Mike hit a couple of them. I think he's been huge for Wendy's uh, with their uh, program as well as Bass Pro Shops. So it'll be interesting to see where they fall in line. 
But I think the big key there comes down to the LMC switch to Toyota. I think that has played a major role. I think it was just Sharon and I that got to talk about it the other day of when he left Cowbush Motorsports in the truck series that there were some things with Toyota. And we know that Toyota is fully behind John Hunter Nemechek. And while I feel John Hunter deserves a uh, opportunity based on what he's been doing, I hate to see it come at the expense of a driver that really never got the opportunity. Like you said, it's his rookie season. They haven't, they weren't the best team. And as they were building with that right now, they're pretty much cut off from Chevrolet because they've made the announcement they're going to Toyota. So they aren't even getting all the same information to build upon because that has been limited based on that. They're not going to be a Chevrolet team next year. So uh, I wish them the best, but I do hope that Noah Gregson gets another opportunity um, to show that redemption for one and still show his talent. Cause I'm one that I believe he's got talent. I, um, I am going to say this. I, I agree that uh, it seems like my main complaint is that there is no pathway back for Noah Gregson at this point, where they've given other situations that seem far worse uh, an opportunity to go through training and find a path back to NASCAR. Um, even even Jeremy Mayfield had a path back to NASCAR. Um, he just never took the path back. Uh, so with that being said, I've got to, I'm, try, I'm scratching my head trying to understand what is going on that we don't know. I do still think there's something happening here that we are unaware of that has caused this to be a no path back for Noah Gregson. Um, Jay, you mentioned it. When when he left Toyota, it wasn't necessarily on really good terms. I think they were frustrated with Noah Gregson. I remember Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, being frustrated with Noah Gregson and saying, I'll have a sit down with him. We'll we'll talk through this and get through this. Um, he's got he's got that kind of personality that can be off putting uh to certain people and um you know, it, it's very ingratiating uh, to fans. Fans like Noah Gregson, but, you know, within an organization where you definitely have to watch your P's and Q's, it could be that Noah Gregson has done something that we are not aware of that has caused Legacy Motorsports to say this is the straw that broke the camel's back, and that's why there's no path back. But I wish that they would be a little more forthcoming uh, to leave us all speculating and wondering and uh, not understanding why there is no path back, I think, is a mistake. Uh, Hopefully, over time, that's going to be to us. Uh, Maybe it never will be explained to us. But I hope that it is explained to us why there's no path back. Because to me, that's the most frustrating thing about this, um, uh, is that a lot of people have been given that path back or a way uh, to get a path back to NASCAR. And in this case, from the very get-go, it's been an indefinite suspension first by Legacy Motor Club and then NASCAR. So 
it, it just leads me to believe that there is much more to this story that we are not aware of. Um, and I, I want to know the rest of the story. <laughs> it's plain and simple. Andy? Yeah, you know, Sharon, and that's probably going to be my argument, too, is is what happened here, what else transpired here that led to this? Because, you know, you you get the feeling that they were looking for an out, the team, you know, that they were looking for any any possible reason, and they used this reason to get rid of Noah Gregson. I guarantee you, you know, if the relationship was better, and I don't even know what the relationship was like. This is me speculating, but if they had a good relationship and Noah was running well, and they were performing well, and things were good, you have to believe that they would have come out with a statement in support of Noah and in outlining a way for him to return to that car. But it seems to me, as everyone else has already said on here, that they were looking for a reason to uh, part ways with Noah. And, And again, the rumors were already circulating that he was getting replaced anyway. So it seems like they're just cutting their losses early and and moving on. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, I'll defend Noah here a little bit too. You know, maybe this is a blessing for him. Maybe this was, you know, a disastrous decision to go to LMC. Um, Maybe this will allow him to, to have a better pathway uh, to move forward in his career. And maybe like Jay said, maybe he does get back to cup at some point and maybe it's a better situation because quite frankly, this wasn't a great situation and, you know, maybe, um, you know, difficult situations like this can help lead to him being stronger down the road. I hope so. I've been tough on him. I've said that before, you know, but I mean, you don't like seeing someone's career get, you know, destroyed because of something silly like this either. I don't, I don't like seeing it. So hopefully he, he finds something else, you know, and he can come back a better person and a better driver moving forward. Well, go ahead and move on then. Uh, Mike, you're up. What's our next top topic? I'm going to gloat a little bit here because I gave NASCAR this idea. I wrote an article about this following <laughs> the Circuit of the Americas race about what NASCAR could or should do to address the chaos and buffoonery that we've seen on restarts at not just Circuit of the Americas, but at the majority of our road course races. And NASCAR listened to me. They said, Mike, you have a great idea. We're going to move the restart line at the Indianapolis road course this coming weekend. We're going to move it to just coming out of the final turn prior to the start finish line in an attempt to contain or at least mitigate some of the chaos and buffoonery that we have seen at Circuit of the Americas, as well as many road course races last year to include Indianapolis. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts about uh, the restart line for Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Uh, is actually uh, it's going to be prior to the final turn to the front stretch. Also in turn one, a driver who blows the turn, a la Chastain last year, uh, will be required to do a not, a stop and go before rejoining the course. Uh, two changes happening at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Your thoughts, Jay? Yeah, we've seen this uh, come into play at a couple of a couple of different tracks. Uh, Atlanta, they made several different changes with the way that was their whole pit road. I think NASCAR is watching this and making notes and making these changes um, to provide better racing. Uh, You know, we we talked about this at Indianapolis Road Course of, uh, I still put some on the drivers, 
but they're in a situation where they all are into one corner like that, it's bound to happen. By having that restart zone a little further back like that, you at least give them the opportunity to spread out and get in a little bit better position where there's not five wide going into a corner. They may make the option to go three wide, but then that is on the drivers themselves. Um, the addition of uh, the blow in the corner as Chastain did, I'm surprised that one wasn't already in play. We've seen that at many other road courses that anytime you cut part of the course, you have to do the stop and go. Um, I'm trying to think out at Sonoma who it was that prevented a caution by cutting the, the field. It wasn't any harm to him, but didn't want to bring out the caution and cut the course. That NASCAR was immediately on that. So that one I was kind of surprised wasn't already a policy in, in place, but it's good to see that they've made that the same as all these other tracks, whether it be the uh, short shoot or the bus stop, any kind of kink where you have that opportunity. And I know at Rovals it's even more so comes into play because there, there's more opportunity, I guess, if you will, to get a little above the curbing uh, when you talk to the turtles, where they talk about having more than two wheels above the, uh, above the turtles, that that can be a judgment call and a penalty and a stop and go. So I think they're all good things that it's going to create better racing and driver decision versus just the pack mentality that we saw here a couple of times at the Indianapolis road course. Andy, your thoughts? I think this is a good decision on NASCAR's part to do this. I think that, you know, the Indianapolis road course uh, restarts were kind of what started this uh, trend of mayhem, you know, on starts and restarts a couple years ago, um, a couple, three years ago. And we've seen, you know, nothing but chaos ensue on, on other road courses. Um, it's a good decision. I don't want those five and six wide restarts in, in the wrecks to be the storyline again, um, which it kind of has been the last couple of years. I would rather the focus be on, you know, actual passing and not, you know, sending it six wide and using four other cars as a buffer, and, you know, to try to make a pass. So, I mean, it, it got to the point of being pretty ridiculous. So, uh, good decision. I, I hope that it leads to, you know, a little bit less chaos this weekend and uh, with the storyline more on, on the better racing. So uh, we'll see what happens, I guess, but I think it's a step in the right direction and the drivers are their own worst enemies, right? If they didn't create this situation, NASCAR wouldn't have been put in the position of having to make this change, but I think it's a good change. And um, I guess we'll find out for sure how it goes, but I, I do hope that it leads to, uh, less chaos going into turn one. Yeah, you put it well, Andy. Uh, you did a good job there because uh, I agree. NASCAR is doing what NASCAR does, and that is trying to make a better product for us as fans. And none of us want to see uh, what we have seen where everybody globs up in the corner and uh, nobody can get anywhere. So um, this will produce a better racing product. Uh, and it, NASCAR is putting implementing it, uh, and as they do when when these things do come to light. And you're right; a lot of these things come to light because of the drivers and the way the drivers' uh, mentality is. They're trying to do everything they can possibly do uh, to to win a race. So we've seen it play out. None of us like it. 
I don't think the drivers really like it, even though they're the ones that actually do that. Um, and NASCAR's doing something to stop it. So uh, I also, yeah, am a bit surprised, like Jay, uh, really surprised uh, that that was not already uh, a requirement for them to stop and go if they miss a turn. Uh, but I'm glad that they implemented it for uh, Indianapolis and, and the road course there. Uh, I can't wait to watch the racing. Hopefully uh, we're in for a good race. Uh, you, we've got the playoff implications that are playing into that with uh, all of these drivers. So um, hopefully we're going to see a good race at IMS this weekend. Mike? So we need to examine why the restart zone was where it was, not just at IMS, but Circuit of the Americas and, and pretty much every other road course. The restart zone was where it was because it was far enough down the straightaway that allowed the entire path to be established on that straightaway. Everyone was moving in a straight line. Nobody was stuck in a turn or anything like that. It provided the most fair opportunity for everybody in the pack in order to have a, a similar restart front to back in the field there and give everyone else the, the most fair opportunity to hold or advance their position. Unfortunately, that most fair opportunity kind of blew up in their face with the chaos that we've seen at the road courses that we've already discussed. Moving it back so half of the field or more is still stuck in a turn, it will help meter the flow of traffic. So instead of having 36 to 40 cars firing off at the same time and everybody more or less doing the same speed going into turn one, you're going to have half or some, some large percentage of the field still in a turn where they can't floor it and, and, and accelerate to full speed. The downside of this is it gives an advantage to the leaders. That's why NASCAR didn't want to do it in the first place. They didn't want to give the front of the pack too much of an advantage over the back of the pack. So there is a bit of a trade-off here. That's why they haven't done it in the past is because they wanted to provide a very fair opportunity. What's the moral of this story? Well, there's two. One, don't drive like a jerk because you're going to force NASCAR to do something like this. And now that brings up the second moral of the story is don't suck. Don't be in the back of the pack because you're not going to have the opportunity to advance like you did on a previous restart. So I think it's a good change. I I would prefer having a fair restart for everybody, that everyone had an equal opportunity in order to, to race on a restart like that. But unfortunately, like we said, drivers sometimes need to be protected from themselves, and the drivers and their action is what forced NASCAR into the situation where they needed to change the way the restarts were conducted. I hope it's for the better. I hope we don't see that six-wide scrum trying to get into turn one because – it makes for good TV. It's entertaining. You get the, the big highlight reels and everything like that. But in terms of actual racing, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not fun. You see a lot of times where – I'm sorry? Uh, but, yeah, you see a lot of times where very deserving cars that have run very well all race end up getting punted on these restarts. And you see drivers who have, have run a very good, very clean race end up in the grass because somebody from five, five rows back in the field decided to just not lift and send it into turn one. And that's not good for anybody. It's not good racing. It's not good entertainment. And, and I, I like the change that they made. With regard to the stop and go coming through there, remember NASCAR had that runoff um, access road or whatever that they made everyone go through. That was longer distance-wise than the actual marked course. And the thought was that longer, tighter uh, access road route was going to be a penalty in and of itself that would have been sufficient to compensate for a driver missing the turn. They just didn't count on Ross Chastain being Ross Chastain. 
Uh, Ross, Ross decided he just wasn't going to do turn one that time, took it full speed into the access road and treated the access road like it was part of the race course and went through there at full speed. Obviously, that didn't provide the penalty that NASCAR was hoping for by having that access road. So that's why they've implemented the stop and go there. It wasn't that they overlooked something. It's that their intended penalty ended up not being sufficient. It didn't produce the desired results there in terms of penalizing the car for missing that turn. So I think it's a good move there. Again, NASCAR, they do their very best in planning these these races. They try and think of every contingency, but... You know, we talk about things being idiot-proof, right? Never underestimate the genius of idiots. They will figure out something no matter what. And in this case, never underestimate drivers' ability to figure out a way around your rules and to gain an advantage that you didn't think was possible for them to gain. So here we are. I think this is the third or fourth year we've gone to the IMS road course. Well, NASCAR's had to change that penalty structure because somebody short-circuited it on them. Well, it is what it is. I think it's a good move on their part. Well, this is one where I uh, almost got to agree with everything Mike said there. Breaking down uh, the, the advantage of the restart when they're all on the straightaway versus some of being in the corner. I thought you did a really good job with Mike on that. And there is something to be said then, though, of, well, drive better, be faster, be one of the top teams that are up front. I understand sometimes you get put in the back for various reasons, uh, pit stops, whatever. But then you have that one car you know is going to be better. You're going to work your way back through. Um, and NASCAR tried to give that benefit, but it just wasn't going to work. And same thing where he talked about turn one. They didn't see that as an opportunity to gain something um, by going to that outside. When Ross Chastain did it, I don't think he looked at it and said, hey, I can go faster around out here. He said, there's 30-some cars piled up here. I'm not going to make it through there. I'm going to go around the outside and it just happened to benefit him by doing that. So then NASCAR had to go back. You're right. I, I think they looked at it and said, that's not a spot where somebody's going to gain an advantage going out there anyway. Why would they? Well, it just so happens. And I think about when it comes to safety, where they, they think they don't need to put a safer barrier here or worry about that. And somehow or another, a car ends up out there and you realize it. I think that's the case here. And I don't think, like I said, that Ross Chastain necessarily did it intentionally to gain an advantage such as he did at Martinsville riding the wall. Um, Got to give him credit for that one. And, again, there again, NASCAR said, okay, good job. We're not going to let you do it again, though. So I, I think they've made some great decisions here. Hopefully it does, as we all said, of plays out to better racing action. Not that you're not going to still have – a couple of cars dive into that corner and try and make a move and maybe cause something, but it's not a pack of 30 where there is no option. As Mike said, if you got all 36 on the front straightaway getting up to speed, there is no option. You go into that corner, you're going to pile up like that. So I think this uh, alleviates some of that. Now it's back in the driver's hands of, hey, you go in there two or three wide, it's at your decision, and the repercussions are going to be your fault. Andy, your thoughts? I don't really have any follow-up on this one. We'll just have to kind of see how it plays out. You know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best though this weekend. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I, I, as Mike was kind of describing how everything's going to line up at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and there's going to be cars that are on that turn. Uh, the first thought that came to my mind, he's right, it's going to regulate the drivers better. But one thing you got to remember about Indianapolis Motor Speedway is some of these 
uh, turns at that track, uh, the final turn to the front stretch, that that's like almost like a 90-degree turn there. So I'm anticipating, and I just want to kind of forewarn everybody else, somebody's going to complain about that. Um, and they're not going to like it because it's going to regulate them, and drivers are not used to being regulated um, as far as a restart is concerned, especially as far as a restart is concerned. Um, but again, uh, we just have to understand it for what it is. It's frustration, but it's the drivers that put themselves in that situation where that has to be regulated in those terms. Um, We'll have to see what happens. I'm kind of anxious to see how it plays out now um, because, Mike, I think you did do a good job of giving us a refresher of why it was put into place uh, and, and um, you know, what we were experiencing as fans. But um, from the driver's point of view, uh, I think there's going to be some drivers that aren't going to like it, especially drivers that maybe aren't used to being that far back uh, and being regulated around that turn. Uh, they're not going to be happy about it, uh, but you just have to kind of keep in your mind as a fan uh, that it's the drivers that put themselves in that situation when you start hearing the complaints. So uh, I'm just putting a forewarning out there. Mike? As much as I like to think that this is going to make a huge difference here, I'm kind of at best cautiously optimistic that it will. And the reason I say that is because that front straightaway at Indianapolis is so long. I'm not sure exactly how long it is, but it's probably the better part of a mile of straightaway. So even the cars that are coming through the turn at the restart, the cars are starting in the back of the pack, they're going to have the opportunity to get up to more or less full speed. They're just going to have a little bit more of a gap between them and the cars in front of them. I think it's going to help with the dive bombing situation. We probably won't be six wide going into that turn, but I think you're still going to see a good bit of dive bombing and some, some ill-advised moves from there. It may work. It may produce the desired result, but I'm also not going to be surprised if it doesn't work as well as we hope it's going to work. I would think probably the next move that NASCAR might need to do is put in a restart chicane, something along the front straightaway that the drivers would need to maneuver around in order to basically add an additional turn to the track. You kind of think about what they do at the Charlotte Roval, where there's that turn between the oval track, turn four, and the dog leg there before the start-finish line. They don't go through that on a restart at the Charlotte Roval. I'm kind of thinking the same thing in reverse, where NASCAR puts something that the drivers need to negotiate around to keep them slower on that front straightaway on a restart. That may be the next evolution of what they need to do if they don't get the desired result here. Um, NASCAR, if you're listening, you're welcome to use that idea. Um, just, you know, maybe a little bit of credit on the broadcast, and I'll take it from there. But I think that's kind of where we're at. It's wait and see. It's hopeful that, yes, we do get the desired result here. But at the same time, if we see a mess on Sunday at Indianapolis, I'm not going to be surprised. I think it's a step in the right direction. Is a step far enough? Well, Sunday's going to let us know one way or the other. Well, and I, I – uh... I applaud you for bringing that up as well, because I do think that uh, this is an effort to try to curtail that. We have to see how it evolves uh, with the drivers. So thank you, everybody. A good conversation here. Okay, Jay, you get the last hot topic here. I'm thinking it's going to be the last. Well, and I think this one might possibly tie into one, the one we already had when it comes to John Hunter Nemechek. But as we know, for next year, 
Martin Truex is returning to JGR for at least one more year, is all I know, is, is that he will be back next year. Martin Truex Jr. Uh, re-signing for 2024. Okay. Andy, what are your thoughts? I kind of thought this could go 50-50, but I, I don't think I'm overly surprised on this. It seemed like Toyota really wanted him to come back, and obviously he's you know, why wouldn't you come back? You're having a great season, uh, winning races. Obviously, he'll be in contention to go make a deep playoff run. So um, I think that that probably helped make his decision easier when you're running well and, and winning and contending on a weekly basis. Um, but I, I kind of got the feeling that, that Toyota really wanted him to come back. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that Toyota has anyone – really waiting in the wings right now that could move up to that car with the exception of John Hunter Nemechek, who is possibly earmarked for the 42 car next year. So, you know, you have to wonder if Toyota, you know, uh, helped persuade him into coming back for another year, um, you know, to help them develop talent to, to move into that car, um, you know, when Martin does decide to retire. But I think that you know, if he was not running well and struggling on a weekly basis, it would have helped make that decision easier for him. But certainly when you're when you're performing at a high level like he is, it, it probably had to help weigh into that decision. But again, you know, my own personal feeling is that Toyota probably helped persuade him as well. And, and I think that that veteran presence at JGR is only going to continue to help that team um, going into next season. Um, you know, and, and obviously – um, you know, when you look at that that driver lineup over there, you know, with the veteran leadership in, in Truex and Hamlin, coupled with the younger talent of Bell and, and Ty Gibbs, I think that that dynamic seems to be working right now. So um, good for Martin, obviously, you know, to be at his, you know, um, at his point in the sport, having been around as long as he has and to be performing at that level is a good thing. So, um Obviously, uh, it's a good thing, I think, for everybody to have him back next year. Frank. Well, let's pump the brakes here on veteran leadership. Martin Truex, sure. Let's, I would not be upset if Christopher Bell and Ty Gibbs modeled their driving style after Martin Truex. On the other hand, they need to not listen to anything that Denny Hamlin tells them. Let's, let's try and avoid Christopher <laughs> Bell and Ty Gibbs growing into the next generation of Denny Hamlin, please. We, we really don't need that. But, yeah, i got to agree with Andy with regard to Martin Truex coming back. Uh, it could have gone either way. I would not have been surprised to see him step away, and I'm not surprised to see him come back. Uh, he's obviously having a very good season this year. His previous two seasons have not been great. Uh, last year, he didn't win a single race last year. There was a lot of talk about, well, is, is he washed up? Is it over for Martin Truex? Obviously, he's come back and had a much, much stronger season this year. Um, so even then, though, I would not have been surprised to see him say, hey, I'm going to end it on a good note. I've had a great year this year, and I'm going to hang it up from there. A lot of guys want to go out on top, and very few get the opportunity to do so. You look at uh, Jeff Gordon, for example. He had a much, much better 2014 than he did 2015. Yes, 2015, he did end up winning one race and making it to the championship four, but he didn't have nearly as good of a season as he did in 2014. And Jeff Gordon is probably the guy who, who went closest to going out on top out of any of the major drivers that we've seen retire over the past few years. You look at Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, and looking even further back, Darrell Waltrip and Richard Petty, all of them kind of faded into obscurity for their last few years in the Cup Series and definitely did not go out at the top of their game on 
Yes, they went out on their own terms, but definitely not at the performance level that I bet they wish they could have. So Martin Truex having that opportunity to step away at inarguably at the top of his game, still competitive, still having the opportunity to win races, that had to, to weigh into his decision of, do I want to risk having another down year next year, and that being the one that everyone remembers me for? We'll have to see how 2024 plays out for him. Obviously, 23 is going very well for him. He, uh, he had one get away from him yesterday, I think, up until probably that last stint, they had the best car of the, of the race. So I don't think the 19 team is done winning races this year. He may very well win several more. And like Andy said, have a deep playoff run. They've got a decent pile of playoff points that they're sitting on. He's running in, in contention for that regular season championship. So I think this is probably going to be one of Martin Truex's best seasons that he's had, at least since he's moved over to Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, and what 2024 brings? Well, they're probably not going to start sweating that until the end of November. I'm happy that uh, Martin Truex Jr. has decided to come back for another year. If you look at it on the other hand, uh, if you're having fun and you're winning races, uh, why in that? Uh, I think that might leave some of us kind of thinking, man, what could have been if he stayed in another year or so? But that is what keeps people going <laughs> until uh, they, they run out of steam and then it's not so much fun anymore, and that's when they retire. But um, uh, I think Martin Truex Jr. is still having a lot of fun. I think he's enjoying racing. Uh, I think he's got uh, a lot of things um, happening in his life that uh, the racing and the good things that are happening in racing are, are good things uh, that are happening in his life. So I, I think it's a good uh, decision for Martin Truex Jr. to come back. I do think he's a good leader. Uh, I think that um, uh, he's a good role model for Joe Gibbs Racing, for Toyota, uh, and I hope more drivers follow his example, to Mike's point, uh, versus Denny Hamlin's example. Um, when Martin Truex Jr. speaks, people do listen, but uh, I, I think that Martin Truex Jr. is here uh, to to do his job in the race car and to win races, and that's exactly what he's doing. Um, I, I think it's a good decision. Jay? Well, I pretty much got to be a parrot and an echo here uh, for, for the two things that, Sharon, you and Mike both hit upon. One, I, I know a couple of weeks ago, Joe Gibbs uh, said it himself, of you're winning races, why would you not come back? I think that's really what put a lot of strain on Martin Truex Jr. is – that going out on top, would he be able to, we know he's going to at least be in the playoffs and have a really good shot at the championship for and winning it all um, based on how he's running right now to be able to say, Hey, this is my final season. I want to go out on top and this is a good year to do so. Um, but I think, I think you're right in the fact that I heard an interview with Ty Gibbs and he specifically mentioned Martin Schuetz as being the one he goes to. Now I'm not going to be as critical on Denny Hamlin, but when it comes to leadership within the Joe Gibbs organization, Denny Hamlin is also part-time putting on his owner's hat and doing his own thing with the ownership of 2311. So with Christopher Bell still being relatively young, Ty Gibbs obviously being a rookie and young, and then the next driver to come in, let's just say John Hunter Nemechek, still relatively young, they need that leadership. And I do think there's a tie in there too of that, I personally felt like that's where John Hunter Nemechek was slotted to go, whether it be at the end of this year or then next year when Martin Truex retires. 
um, that they wanted more time. Again, he's doing a great job with helping develop Ty Gibbs. Give John Hunter Nemechek one more in the Xfinity Series. Um, now, whether or not he goes to Legacy, that might change things up. Uh, we don't know. Again, I think there's some things going on behind the scenes through the manufacturer of Toyota that we don't know. Um, but I think that also came into play. Well, thankfully, Mike was there to correct me on a dreadful mistake that I made in calling Denny Hamlin a leader. So <laughs> I won't make that mistake again. But yeah, no, I, I do. I, I do look at, at Martin Truex Jr. as um, a true veteran presence at Joe Gibbs Racing. And it is a good point. And it was actually mentioned this past weekend um, on the uh, NBC broadcast that um, Ty Gibbs does typically go to Martin Truex for guidance. And I think that, um, you know, certainly as a former champion of the sport and someone that's won a lot of races, you know, if you're a young guy like Ty Gibbs, um, someone with a lot of talent, that um, there's really no better person to go to uh, from that standpoint. So, um, but yeah, obviously excited, exciting to see him back. You know, I think probably good from, um, a JGR perspective. And I think knowing what you're doing the following year at this point in the season is key because it's no longer going to be a distraction as they move into the playoffs. Anytime you can get your contracts done um, either early or, you know, toward the midpoint of the year like this, it really sets yourself up for a distraction-free uh, a playoff scenario. And also, you know what you're doing the following year and the team knows and the sponsors know everyone's on the same page as far as what the remainder of this year looks like on into next year. So that's a good thing, I think, for everyone involved at Joe Gibbs and in particular that 19 car. So all in all, just a, a win-win, I think, for uh, the team, the driver, and the manufacturer. Yeah, Sharon, you kind of hit on it in your first reply of what does this mean for Toyota? Obviously, Martin Truex coming back means they don't have a seat to fill for 2024, but at best, it's a Band-Aid on their pipeline situation. It's weird because three, four years ago, we talked about Toyota having an overabundance of drivers. They had too many drivers and nowhere to put them. Well, they're kind of in the opposite position right now. Yes, Martin Truex is back for the 2024 season, but how much longer is he realistically going to stick around? Yes, 2024, we know. Is he going to be around for 25, 26, another, another two or three years? I really, really doubt it. Uh, he's in his early to mid-40s, and so is Denny Hamlin. That is the retirement age, or at least a typical retirement age, that we've seen most NASCAR Cup Series drivers step away from the sport over the past about 10 to 15 years or so. So just because Martin Truex and Denny Hamlin are coming back next year, the question still remains of how many more years are they going to be coming back? I know Denny Hamlin really wants that championship. Not going to happen. But I don't see Denny Hamlin racing for another decade. Toyota really needs to figure out who they're going to put where. And they don't have the pipeline that they did just a couple years ago. They lost Kyle Busch Motorsports in the truck series. And I don't think Tricon has been anywhere near the kind of good pipeline that Kyle Busch Motorsports was. So they've got John Hunter Nemechek in the Xfinity series and – Corey Heim in the trucks. And other than that, I don't really know how many pipeline drivers that Toyota really has. Nemechek is probably ready for the cup series. Yes. He had that one year at front row where he did 
okay, and it's hard to say whether he was held back by front row equipment or, or skill issue or whatever it was. But either way, he left the Cup Series after a single season to go back to the Truck Series and now Xfinity. So John Hunter Nemechek is probably about ready for the Cup Series, but I don't think Corey Heim is. And it's probably going to be a few more years before I would say Corey Heim is, is ready for the Cup Series, at least to be competitive at the Cup level. Yes, he probably could get in the race car. He probably could drive it around. But I don't think he would be particularly competitive at the Cup level. So unless Toyota starts poaching drivers from other organizations like Chandler Smith, Chevrolet is a little fat on drivers. So Chandler Smith might be right for the picking if Toyota wants to try and steal him away. Um, other than that, who are they going to get to replace Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex in the, in the not-so-distant future? That's the big thing to keep an eye on here is the development of Toyota drivers in that pipeline and see where they want to go from there. Now, they are pushing Tony Breidinger pretty hard. She's featured in some Toyota TV commercials, but uh, I don't think she's going to be ready anytime soon either. Uh, so definitely a big question mark for Toyota going forward. They answered one question regarding Martin Truex, but I don't think it solved some long-term questions for them. Yep, you bring up some good points. I don't really have a whole lot to add. I think you guys have all hit uh, on the major points here. Jay, I'm going to let you have the final word here. Well, I I still think that a big part of it anyway is that leadership. You know, Mike mentioned some of the ones that are coming up. Um, they still have that pipeline with Tricon Garage, which replaced Kyle Busch Motorsports, but those are also very, very young drivers. Uh, you know, I don't know that – I know HMS kind of did it uh, a few years back uh, with – I think it was Alex Bowman at age like 25 or 26, somewhere in there as, as the veteran. Um, you're not going to have a four-car operation like Joe Gibbs uh, has with all 18- and 19-year-olds. You've got to have somebody that's established. As they develop, uh, again, how many years Denny Hamlin has left, don't know. Opinions on his leadership, that's a whole separate issue. But then you have Christopher Bell. Uh, he's been there, what, three, maybe four years now? It's starting to develop that. Ty Gibbs is in his rookie year. And so you need somebody that has that stability and leadership. And I think that's what Toyota is looking at, of asking for one, two more years of that leadership so that when these others come up, drivers like Christopher Bell and Ty Gibbs are the ones that are able to lead that company as well as lead the younger drivers. So, We'll have to see how it develops. It'll be really interesting to see. Uh, I know everything keeps getting back, linked back to John Hunter Nemechek, and he said he's not worried about what happens next year. He doesn't know yet. Right now he's focused on the Xfinity Series and winning that championship. Uh, I think that's a key element right now in several different places and factors. Okay. Uh, we'll let that be the final word on our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion, and we'll start our roundtable as we sign off uh, our podcast here for today. Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, CB14 uh, fan on X now, I guess we call it. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, good to be back. I know it's been, um, I think, a couple, three weeks since I've been able to do the show, so good to be back on today, and uh, hopefully you can do the same thing for Thursday. And uh, we'll see what happens, but looking forward to uh, some good racing this weekend. It's going to be Mike underscore Rizal on, it's still Twitter to me. It's always going to be Twitter to me. And it's Mike <laughs> underscore Rizal on there. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, I'm back from Daytona. I did not wreck my piece of crap race car. I didn't blow the engine. Everything <laughs> was good. 
Uh, I did learn that the uh, the brake pads that I had were a little um, underprepared as I watched sparks and flames come up over the fenders a few times uh, going into some of the faster braking zones at Daytona. But other than that, a very successful track day. I don't know when the next time I'm going to be out on a racetrack, uh, but I will be running autocross, uh, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after, with that same piece of junk race car. That's going to be at Columbus Air Force Base. So that's, uh, that's what I got coming up. Oh. Well, Mike, good to hear that you had some fun. I saw some of the pictures. It uh, looked like you had a great time. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you can follow me, Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJA on Instagram. Don't like the wrong memes. And on, I believe the proper term now is TwitX, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from what I've seen. Don't understand it. Don't know what's going on. Just know that's what I heard it called. So we'll go from there. <laughs> I'm like Mike. <laughs> Hi, it's always going to be Twitter to me. Um, I'm Fan for Racing site on Twitter, uh, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, except uh, including, actually, uh, our website, fanforacing.com. Uh, we do have a player there where you can listen to our podcast or our live broadcast. Uh, we do have a few podcasts coming up here, so watch for those. Uh, I know Jay and I will be back this Thursday to do a podcast for the preview uh, show, and then Monday we'll be doing another podcast uh, for our review show as well. Uh, I believe Sal comes back on uh, August the 28th, and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, do a live broadcast for that show. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, I am looking forward to the racing this week. Uh, I enjoyed the racing this past weekend. Looking forward to the preview of the upcoming weekend in Indianapolis. And uh, can't wait uh, for us to get together again. Thanks to everybody who's tuning in. And also to our Fan for Racing crew for being as adaptable as you are. I appreciate each and every one of you guys as well. So with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Have a good Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.